it's Kaylee Cuoco for Priceline. Ready to go to your happy place for a happy price? Well, why didn't you say so? Just download the Priceline app right now and save up to 60% on hotels. So whether it's Cousin Kevin's Kazoo concert in Kansas City, go Kevin! Or Becky's Bachelorette Bash in Bermuda. You never have to miss a trip ever again. So download the Priceline app today. Your savings are waiting. Go to your happy place for a happy price. Go to your happy price, Priceline. First, the bad news. SAP Business AI won't help you generate cubist versions of your family's holiday photos. But it will help you understand which supplier is best to help you roll out your plant-based packaging in Southeast Asia. Or identify the training your junior project manager needs to rise up the ranks. And automate repetitive tasks while you focus on big innovations. So you can be ready for the next opportunity. Revolutionary technology. Real-world results. That's SAP Business AI. Survivor 46 is here and so is On Fire, the only official Survivor podcast. And we have a twist this season. The winner of Survivor 45, D. Vyadaris, will be joining us every week. We're going behind the scenes of the biggest moments, the how and the why things happen, and the strategy and analysis you can only get from someone like me, a Survivor winner. Listen to On Fire, the official Survivor podcast, wherever you get your podcasts. standing by right now is the one and the only Sean Mooney. Who? Mooney, everybody's got a price for the million dollar man. <laughs> After you threw him off through the announce table, Taker climbs back down, he gets in the ring, and he goes, see if he's breathing. So right before I called 911, I thought she'd fallen asleep. Kind of shook her a little bit to, to wake her up, and she did not respond. I don't go down to my go to my grave, testifying or whatever, swearing that Davy was not on drugs. If he was on drugs, the way Brett says, how does I mean, how great does that make Davy? Are you laughing, Sean? I get off the track here all the time. Did you just laugh, Sean? You go ahead and chop me. Give me a big chop. I'll sell. I'll give you my whole chest and everything. And then I'll look at you like this, and uh, then I'll punch you right in the mouth as hard as I can. <laughs> Attention, Sean Mooney, you scum, you slime, you maggot. If there's no further questions, you're dismissed. Carry on, maggot. Hello, everybody. It's Sean Mooney. Welcome once again to another edition of Prime Time with Sean Mooney as uh, we continue to broadcast here from our bunker. Uh, no, actually, we're in the same place that we always do this. But it is a little scary out there as we continue uh, as the weeks go on now, uh, surrounding the coronavirus that has threatened uh, the entire world. And we are certainly feeling the impact here in the United States. I know a lot of people have been hunkered down as a precaution. Um, fortunately, uh, the numbers are, are not out of control at this point, And we are praying to God that it doesn't get to the point where it is uh, a real uh, threat to our existence. <laughs> I mean... But it looks like, as we continue here, that uh, uh, they are finding uh, ways that are going to help us out here. And uh, hopefully what everybody's experiencing is going to be short-lived. I pray for that. And I know many, many, many of you out there are doing the same. Uh, one thing, though, in the meantime, I hope that uh, my podcast and some of the other content we're putting out there is helping to entertain you, as uh, many of you are staying home, working from home. And uh, I hope these episodes, and I know you're listening to a lot of other podcasts as well. Everybody's binge watching on television. 
Uh, they've got a new series uh, of Ozark episodes out, which I have uh, been been watching and getting caught up on other series that I started and didn't finish. Um, you know, finally finished uh, Narcos Mexico. Um, I know there's many, many others out there. Hey, you know, you can email me some suggestions too. I'd love to love to hear them. But uh, uh, getting off track here, but that's not unusual for me, right? Uh, but anyway, I, I just hope that uh, you're all safe out there and that your families are all safe and that we get through this very, very soon. We can all get back to work and uh, are back uh, back to our normal daily lives. I, I do think, though, that things are going to be changed forever. I think that, well, I, well, at least I hope that we have learned a few things through this. Uh, really, first of all, uh, how much your family matters to you and those that are close to you when it comes down to it. Uh, that's, that's really all that matters in your life, that you've got people who love you and people that you love and, uh, you know, work, nobody, we're all replaceable in that sense. I mean, everybody should realize that right now. I hope it's not a shocker to you, but, uh, that's, that's the way it is. Uh, I'm on television every single day. I get to bring this horrible news, uh, most of the time I'm hoping it's going to keep getting better. But I also realize that, um, you know, there are a lot of talented people out there. If for some reason I wasn't able to show up tomorrow, that uh, it would go on. And I think you all need to realize that, that the most important thing uh, in all this is your family and the loved ones around you and your friends and reach out to them. There's a lot of ways. I mean, people have been very, very creative, which has been fun uh, doing the FaceTime and the Skype and talking to each other and doing <laughs> It's, I mean, some people you can tell they're just getting stir crazy. Some of the things they're coming up with, uh, you, you've seen the videos. But anyway, I hope that I hope that it is short lived. I I really do, and and I know you're you're thinking the same thing I am. But I did say I hope we learn a few things. I, I tell you that you know, uh, it's it's on the positive side of things. I always try to look at it that way. Uh, you know, people staying home. There's a lot fewer cars on the road. Maybe some of these employers are going to start saying, hey, you know what? Uh, there are some real benefits to having people work out of their houses and maybe come in one or two days a week because um, I know they did a study and they found, you know, everybody's doing the teleconferencing. Like we have meetings every day. They have one at 930 and they have another one in the afternoon and people who work, you know, the morning shift and, you know, and the other people that work in the afternoon and the evenings, they get the two different meetings. But they've done a study nationally and it turns out when they're doing these teleconferences, you know, with everybody on the phone, that these meetings are half as long. So there's that, there's something to be said about that. And then also, you know, a lot of people that do stuff out in the field, like say our reporters, uh, every day they have to come in and one of these meetings. And, you know, it's two hours of wasted time, the way I feel about it. I mean, if you could get out a meeting and say, okay, this is your story today, and you jump in your car and go do it, you're going to save a lot of time. You're probably going to be less stressed because you have more time to do it. And maybe they people have to use their own car, I know, in some situations. But then they pay you for your mileage. It's got to be cheaper than having to have a fleet of vehicles. But that's just from my viewpoint of the world. I'm, I'm, I'm wondering if you think the same thing from uh, wherever you are with, with your job. And maybe you like to go in the office. I, I don't know. I just think that, you know, think of the emissions that we, uh, we're cutting down on and and uh fewer car accidents out there uh there's just there's a lot lot to it i hope we we take some of the positive aspects out of this as we move forward 
But uh, overall, I just hope you all stay safe out there. Please, please stay healthy. Wash your hands. It's not that uh, tough. Although my hands are raw. I don't know if I'm washing them so much or yours uh, that way. But, you know, uh, take care of yourself. That's, that's the most important thing. And uh, let's hope it's over soon. Uh, we're coming off a great episode. I hope you had a chance to listen to it uh, with uh, the guys who created the series uh, uh, Dark Side of the Ring. And uh, man, uh, if you saw the first episode with uh, on uh, Chris Benoit, uh, just a chilling, chilling episode. And uh, you know the uh, director Jason Eisner and producer Evan Husney uh, joined us before we did it on the day of the premiere, which was uh, last Tuesday. Um, or it depends on when you're listening to this. So it was the 24th of uh, March when when it debuted, and they actually put it out before that on YouTube. The first episode. And these guys just do a great job. They're great storytellers. And so we had them on, and we pretty much went through the... We did. We went through the entire second season talking about each one of these episodes. And uh, now I've watched uh, Benoit, and uh, I tell you, uh, just just a great job on it, but it's just frightening, just chilling to, to watch it and see the spiral of what happened to Chris Benoit. And um, I really like the fact that they didn't try to... Uh, justify anything that happened um, or glorify it in any way. I mean, it was just a, a disastrous tragedy, uh, the loss of uh, of two two really innocent people, um, Chris Benoit's wife and, and his son, and uh, and also what happened with Chris Benoit and just the the uh, aftershocks, you know, the the ripples uh, ripple effect from that and how it destroyed the people around them and. Uh, just, uh, just great. So I hope that you're you're going to be able to catch that if you haven't seen both part one and part two, and also they've got uh, so much more coming your way that I'm really excited about see, uh, the season two. With um, you know, you got ten episodes. You know, the first episode, I think they did five or six episodes. These guys, and in a, in a relatively short period of time, they put ten episodes together. I think they're still you know pasting the the, the last few episodes together, but. What an incredible um, <laughs> job that they've done. And can you imagine that? I, I did a lot of production work early on in my career. I did some you know, documentaries. And uh, I know what goes into these. And they did, they said, 87 interviews. And each one of these interviews would last anywhere from three to you know, five hours long. So just imagine the, the incredible, uh, you know, work that they had to do to get through all those interviews and then put these shows together. But I think it's going to be well worth it when we get to see the entire series. Uh, one episode I'm really excited about seeing is the assassination of uh, Dino Bravo because uh, it's just a fascinating story. And, of course, you guys know that I had the chance to work with, with Dino quite a bit and uh, just to you know, find out what happened. I think we've all, all wondered. And you know that maybe we, you, know, you don't really in this episode because it's still considered a, a cold case. They never really solved or, or uh, implicated someone who pulled the trigger. There's a, a lot in that story that, you know, whoever did it, he knew because that person was allowed into their into his house. Uh, nobody else was home and, and um, was watching hockey. And so, uh, you know, I, I from well, all they can tell that, uh, you know, uh, this guy was a person, whoever it was, was allowed into the house. So uh, that that that's an episode I cannot wait to see. Uh, New Jack is is uh, also a part of this, 
And I don't know if you're a new Jack fan. I didn't, I'm still, I don't know that much about the guy, but uh, from what I've heard from this episode, my God, it's just going to be, that. it happens to be one of their favorites uh, doing that episode. And they just said, you know, he's in it. And uh, they say he was one of the best interviews that they did. Um, you know, not glorifying what, what he may talk about in there, but uh, that you know, he was just a riveting interview. Uh, they've got uh, David Schultz, a cautionary tale, as they call it, uh, the, uh, if you, the, the uh, murder of uh, the death of Nancy Argentino with uh, Jimmy Snuka, you know, was implicated in that, was never prosecuted by the time that they did uh, actually move forward with charges, uh, official charges. Uh, Jimmy Snuka was in a bad mental state. Uh, in the last throes of his his life, and um, he passed away s- shortly after that. But uh, that's I, that's going to be a great episode. They did one on the Road Warriors, um, Herb Abrams, uh, if you remember the UWF, and what a crazy story that is. And then, uh, of course, Owen Hart, which is another episode I really can't wait to uh, get to see. And Brawl for All, uh, that was another one that's in there. But anyway, uh, if you haven't, checked out the episode yet of, of primetime I do because these guys really give you uh, some insight onto what went on and what they had to do to actually make this series uh, actually come to life and uh, uh, this season two is just amazing because they really developed you know had to, to develop relationships with a lot of these people they interviewed who were not who had not come forward before or had spoken to people and given such in-depth interviews. And they had to win their trust in many cases. They tell the story about uh, Martha Hart, uh, Owen Hart's wife. And, uh, I mean, she's, you know, never really told the story, and she does in this one. And, and uh, you know, uh, Jason talks about how she wrote them a letter and uh, had a series of questions that she wanted them to answer and, and how he took all this time to do it and sent it back to her and uh, went there actually with no cameras and just spent time with them. I mean, it's really great stuff. So uh, I hope you will check that out. Don't miss the episode, uh, The Dark Side of the Ring, with uh, director Jason Eisner and producer Evan Husney. Uh, that's awesome. Okay, we've got uh, another great episode coming up. This week, we've got Dutch Mantel with us. And, and Dutch, we, you know, I think I first talked to him about coming on the, the podcast two years ago. And uh, it, it's uh, it, not that you know I had to keep hounding him or anything. He's just you know kind of dropped off, and I hadn't been back in touch with him. And then we would I'd see him somewhere, or uh, you know, uh, even though he said he didn't remember meeting me, but it was brief when we were at uh, Starcast. I saw him there, but no biggie. <laughs> didn't hurt my feelings. But uh, he says that in the podcast, as you will hear. But um, just he's a fascinating story. Uh, Dutch, he, he is. A, he was a, a, a very, very accomplished wrestler. Uh, he was, uh, you know, but also he was a major influence uh, behind the scenes as a as a booker and a promoter. I mean, he's done it all and worked for everybody. And you're going to hear all about it uh, when when uh, we get to this episode here. Um, I do want to uh, thank you all uh, once again, all our Patreon members. God, you guys are so loyal. Uh, as you know, we, we did have tiers. We, we had upper tiers. We had uh, uh, Legion of Who members, and we had Moonies. And, uh, you know, you paid a little extra for that to be a part of that. And, uh, you know, with everything going on, and I just didn't think it was fair to not be able to give the full, uh, you know, attention to that because people are paying their hard-earned money. So I, I came out and said, look, uh, you know, 
we have the basic tier, which is four ninety nine, which means you get everything we put out, and we put out some uh, something new, two new uh, episodes every week. Monday we do the network classics, where we take a, a a program from the WWE Network, and I do a little watch along with it. And then, of course, Wednesdays we have original episodes of primetime. And then on Saturdays we re-release a vault episode, something from the library. And I think this past week we had uh, Justin Roberts, which, uh, you know, I love Justin. We've uh, got, gotten to know him over the years, and just he's a super fan of, of wrestling. He's just fun to talk to. So if you have never, uh, if you've never heard that episode, uh, check it out. He also talks about his book, you know, and, and um, tells his story of his time with the WWE. So um, anyway, uh, getting back to Patreon is, uh, you know, we have the basic tier, which is four ninety nine, so you can get everything early and ad-free. And I just really want to thank all those who have hung in there and uh, and now are still staying with us, you know, going down to the lower tier. But uh, I just want to remind everybody that was a Legion of Who member or that, uh, you know, you still are going to get. We're going to do the watch along together, and we're also going to do the podcast together. I'm going to make good on all of those. Just please email me so that we can get it done. Uh, at gmail.com, primetimemooney at gmail.com. And uh, we'll, we'll set it up. It may take a few weeks, but I tell you, we will do it. I promise. So, um, also, please continue to follow us on Twitter, at uh, Primetime Mooney, at Primetime Mooney, as well as on Instagram. And I think that's about it, because, uh, you know, we've all been uh, trying to get through all this. Crazy. Uh, it, it, I don't know. Have you been able to find any toilet paper anywhere? People, somebody's got, somebody's got I, just, I just picture these people with, you know, uh, you know, 50 uh, packages of toilet paper in their garage, uh, where which they could probably never use if they lived to 100. But boy, they got their toilet paper. But it is it's a little uh, scary that to go to to uh, you know a grocery store or a store and you can't find you can't find paper towels, you can't find toilet paper. Forget any sanitizer, even cleaning products. I mean, my wife has been going around to different stores every time. You know, even the you know hardware stores and. Um, you know, these smaller markets trying to find bleach. You can't find bleach anywhere. So uh, that, that uh, it's, this is something we're going to remember for a very long time. Uh, but uh, I'm hoping, like I said, we can keep you uh, entertained while we're all going through this. And I think you're definitely going to be, going to be entertained by this episode uh, this week with Dutch Mantel. So let's get to it. Ding, ding, ding. What if you could have a career where the opportunities are as vast as our nation? where it's not about mission statements, but a shared mission. At U.S. Customs and Border Protection, we go beyond to protect more than borders. From ship to shore, air to ground, cities to local communities, CBP agents and officers are keeping people safe. Join U.S. Customs and Border Protection and go beyond for something far greater than yourself. Learn more at cbp.gov careers. Waiting on a tax return? Hopefully it ends up in your hands. Fraudulent tax returns due to identity theft increased by 30% in 2023. If you're in a bind this tax season, LifeLock can help. Our U.S.-based restoration specialists are experts dedicated to helping solve your identity theft issues. And all LifeLock plans are backed by the Million Dollar Protection Package. So we'll reimburse you up to the limits of your plan if you lose money due to identity theft. Help protect your information this tax season with LifeLock. Save up to 25% your first year at LifeLock.com aware. Well, folks, I am 
really excited to welcome my guest this episode of Primetime. He has worked at just about every position you could imagine in the business of professional wrestling. He was a, a very successful wrestler in the ring. He's been a manager behind the curtain. He's been a promoter and a very successful booker. He is also responsible for launching the careers of some of the most revered wrestlers in the business. Uh, welcome, Dutch Mantel. How are you? Well, Sean, I, I'm going to tell the. I'm going to start off by telling the truth. Later on, I start telling some lies. Okay. I hope people <laughs> pick them apart. But you know, I've never met you personally, but yeah. I always uh, knew of you, and I always respected what you did. So I, I'm glad to be here, and uh, I've heard a lot of good things about your podcast. So hey, let's get let's get let's get I'll get it out in a minute. Let's get started. Yeah. Well, you know, I I tell you, I've uh, been looking forward to this because. Uh, like I said in your intro there, you, you've done so much in the business and uh, had such an impact uh, for decades. And uh, I really was looking for the, the chance to talk to you, and we'll, we'll cover a lot of that. But uh, right now, you know, we're kind of in the uh, another week of this basically becoming a lockdown across the country. And I know you're in Florida, so my first question is how you're holding up and, uh, and uh, how you handle all this that's happening. I swear to God, I, I, I came down here from Tennessee, mm-hmm. and you think people live up in Tennessee, they're like they're like hermits, and they live off in the corner. I'm more isolated down here now, and that was before mm. uh, this quarantine came. But I'm just stuck back here in the house that I'm in. I'm down here with my daughter now, and I'm stuck back in here. And now the government has forced us yeah. to lock down certain places you can't go here you can't go there you got to stay six feet away from everybody and which i'm okay with that but they've even <laughs> always down, they've, they've actually locked down the beaches here yeah you can't even go to the beach i read in pennsylvania they they closed all the liquor stores now wait a minute yeah you can do a lot of things but closing a liquor store i mean i'm not a big drinker but i can see where that would cause a lot of problems because I don't. I don't understand closing the liquor store. I don't. I don't see how that's going to help hurt anything. Yeah. But you know, there are people who like to drink to get through the day, and I think now that with these trying times of this virus, I think people might want to have a little bit of a drink or two to kind of ease them off that threshold a little bit. Yeah. But well, the think, thing about this yeah. virus is they're not telling us, and I don't want to be a conspiracy theor- uh, theorist. Mm-hmm. But all of a sudden, everything's good, and you know, and boom, it takes over the world. Yeah. And you're seeing these things from China, people falling out on the streets, and you, I saw uh, somebody sent me the other day of uh, this, like, 100 clips, and the, the clips are like 10 or 15 seconds long, and it's just people falling down on the streets. And here's an ambulance coming, and, it's, and it's in China, and they're picking them up, yeah. and they're taking them off to the hospital. Or... A hospital in uh, Tehran, uh, Iran. Uh, they, I counted like thirty body bags just in this area. Yeah. And they, I, I don't, I don't, I don't know. I, I'm, I'm still sort of torn on this. Now the government, you know, it's got to be serious when they close down Vegas. Yeah. Yeah. That's that when, they, when, when they start they closing the casinos. Down, yeah. <laughs> right. Or when they close Disney World. Yeah. You know, Disney World's only been closed like twice in its 40-year history, I think, since they've been down here in Orlando. Yeah. And that was because of uh, the hurricane, but it was open the next day. Yeah. But now they, they closed that down, and, and they, of course, they canceled WrestleMania, which cost everybody an arm and a leg. 
I was reading where one guy, he would come and to Orlando. That was like his year almost. Yeah. He said he, and I don't know, I don't even know who this guy was, but he said he worked like 14 or 15 different events. Right. Like, he, you know, sometimes some of these obscure companies, which I guess I would like to go to and see just what they got. I, I like to see different shows. Yeah. But, you know, they, they start at 10 o'clock in the morning. Then the guy could work the show, hop in the car, and go and make a 2 o'clock show. Then he could go make a 4 or 5 o'clock show. Then go make an 8 o'clock show. And sell his gimmicks and all those uh, venues that he went to. Hell, he could have a easily, at a, as an independent, he could easily have a, a $3,000 day. Yeah. Well, it's, selling it, gimmick. yeah, and and you mentioned that that uh, you know I'm I'm not a conspiracy theorist theorist anyway either, but uh, it is pretty amazing because they say it is related. This virus is related to the flu, and you know last year we lost eighty thousand people, which people don't ever really you know take notice no, of they because don't... we do it every year. But uh, you have to wonder what is behind this virus because where the numbers are low at this point, but. You know, you can see how the math uh, multiplies, and if it really does get out of control, it, it's just it, it's just amazing. But I think one of the biggest impacts, like you mentioned, is what it could do to our economy for years to oh, come. Oh man, man, that's that's what's concerning me. Yeah, yeah. I'm saying the economy is the best it's been mm-hmm. since I since I can remember. Yeah, and all of a sudden this hits, and it's like okay, and and people pulled out of things quick. They're already closing, laying off people. And you know, when the government says, Hey, we're going to give you some money, you know, something serious. If they're going to give people three or $4,000 just to get through a couple of months, yeah. but they either do that. It's going to be worse. And what I think they're trying to avoid right now. And I think we talked before we, we, we went on the, the, the podcast here about uh Anarchy could very well develop here, and it's yeah. like a movie. Yeah. It's like a it's like a movie from you know Twilight Zone, or if you want to put it in modern day uh, uh, show, like Black Mirror. Yeah, and it's almost it's almost like it's a dream, but you can't get out of it. Yeah, and you can't turn the TV on unless they're slapping you in the face with it, yeah. and it's, they just go on and on and on about yeah. it. But hey. You're gonna get me depressed. I'm gonna get mad. I'm gonna take the gun. <laughs> I don't. No, no, hey, no. Can't, you can't, you can't even buy a gun down here. Yeah. No, that's good. All, all, all the all the gun stores are so are sold out. Yeah. Well, no kidding. And, People are protecting themselves. And all themselves. the all, all the ammunition is sold out. Yeah. Could be anarchy. So, it's like that movie Contagion. Uh, that's been uh, really popular now in downloads. But it is. It's frightening. And and with that in mind, uh, Dutch. You know, you made a living studying people and how they react to life situations. I mean, that's that's your gift. That's how you become a successful wrestler, booker. Uh, so when you see how people re- react to this, and I'm, you know, it's like the toilet paper thing. I was at the store this morning, and literally every person that came out of that store had a package of toilet paper. And I'm thinking, like, what the hell? Of all the things that that when this is something like this is going on, the last thing I'm worried about is wiping my hiney. You know, I, I don't. <laughs> <laughs> There's other things that are a little and more I, important, like food. Yeah, I, I thought the same thing. I said, "What is the deal yeah. with the with the toilet paper?" I don't get it. I still I can see the need for it. 
Yes. But for all of it to be sold out, I don't, I don't, I don't get that. Uh, I think what you got now with this, uh, virus scare going on and you got all these people watching the people, Mm -hmm. they're trying to determine how they're going to take this and how they're going to take that. Well, I can tell them they're not going to take it well at all, No. but and this is something that I read today that uh, they're going to quit making. Uh, they're laying off all the all the motor plants, uh, GM, yeah. Ford, and start making cars. They're going to start laying off their people, yeah. which means they're not making parts, which means they're not selling cars, which means that, I mean, that is a big, big part of the economy is just uh, transportation. Well. Yeah, so when make, that happens, we're not working. That's even more of right, a and and it's a domino effect. Yeah, this happens here, it affects it down there, and it goes down and down and lower and lower. And uh, you know, when they're offering a, a, a trillion point two billion dollars just to back up, say for six months. Yeah, and another thing is that the, the scare, the stock market's gone. Yeah. And I read today, uh, the stock market has lost all the gains it's made under Trump. Wait a minute. Mm. What is the, it was almost like they were gloating about yeah. it. Yeah. But all that, all that, all that stuff that Trump did and blah, blah, blah. Now it's gone. And you're thinking, well, wait a minute. It, he did. It's not his money. Yeah. Isn't it American's money? Yeah. It's my and 401k. I mean, gee, thanks. No, <laughs> no, no kidding. So I think. And the, don't get me started on the media because they piss me off. And both of them, I don't, you know, I can listen to Fox for so long and then they piss me off. Then I, I, I can't even watch CNN. Oh. I can't stand a Don Lamont. Yeah. I think he needs to be punched. And that, what's that guy's name? Cuomo, the governor's brother uh, in New York. Uh, yeah, Cuomo. Those two guys, sickening, they're sickening to me. I, I just can't watch them. Now, I may make some people mad. I don't give a shit. I don't like them. Yeah. They, and, and I don't know. Well, my biggest, my, my feeling on it, though, is, too, is that, you know, at least the guys on Fox, they say they're they're editorializing, they that they're on one side. To try and convince people that you're yeah. an objective news person, that's what really upsets me. Upsets me. I mean, say who you are, and then fine. If I want to listen to you, I'll listen to you. I'll take whatever you have to say and weigh it. But to try and tell me, no, I'm an objective news person, uh, I don't think so. Cause, uh, you know, well, to me, this was... You know, they call themselves journalists. They're not yeah. journalists. They're yeah. opinionists. Yeah. They will write something and may have a fact in it, but then at the end, they throw their opinion and damn the fact. Yeah. To me, I think one of the best things you could be right now, to me, if I was going to be in a different profession, I'd be a, I'd call myself a journalist. And, I, of course, I wouldn't research shit. I wouldn't do nothing. <laughs> just, I would just get up in the freaking morning there. and I go, uh, I'd stretch a little bit and have a cup of coffee. And I said, well, let's pull up Twitter here and let's see what old Trump said starting at 3 o'clock in the morning. Dude, he he said this and this and this. What the hell? That's what I'm going to report that day is what he said. Yeah. Of course, then my first thing is I got to do a fact check, which I would hate because I would have to actually go and look up something. Right. But you don't have to do anything. Just just. And I, this is what I think Trump is doing. They call him an idiot. I think he plays him like a violin because that's why nothing sticks to him. He's on something every other 15 minutes. 
Yeah. And they're so busy chasing something down. But if he says something now, well, they'll drop what they were working on and go to what he's doing now. It's a, I don't know. I've never seen it like this. But I'm going to tell you, Sean, we're living in historic times. I know. It's pretty crazy. And I was, I, I was thinking about by the time I come along, I've seen so much history of this country. You know, and now the kids today can't say that. Because no. they're still, they started at a different time. Yeah. I remember when, when Nixon and Kennedy first went into office, John Kennedy. And then the biggest, the biggest uh, thing I can remember, and this is what they call shared experiences. Yeah. Well, it's, you know, it's when they shut the country down. It's when John Kennedy got killed. Mm-hmm. Literally. Do you remember that, or was that before you? No, no, I was a kid. I was uh, I was young, but I do remember it vividly. And I remember when uh, Dr. Martin Luther King uh, was assassinated, yep. and also when Bobby Kennedy. I, I mean, it. I, I remember those uh, very yeah. much and in that my was, mind. Those were the next two I was going to go into, and I remember yeah. Martin Luther King yeah. very well because I was uh, I drove all night long because a friend of mine had a brother who was stationed at uh, Count Lejeune, North Carolina. He was a Marine. Mm-hmm. We drove all night long to get him back before, like, I guess, roll call the next morning. Mm-hmm. We got him there about, uh, about 4 o'clock in the morning. And I remember at the time I had never I had never laid eyes on the ocean, the, the beach. I've never seen it. Mm-hmm. And the guy told me, he said, hey, you want to see, the, you want to see the, the ocean? I said, yeah, we're close. He said, yeah, it's like 30 miles over here. <laughs> so we drove over there, and that's the first time I saw the ocean. That's why I remember the trip. But I remember going through the towns, and people would stop us. We'd pull up at a red light at some town in North Carolina, headed that way. It was in eastern North Carolina. And the guy said, hey, he said, don't go down these streets, guys. He said, because they're, they're burning this town down, so just keep moving. So that's why I remember that. Mm-hmm. And then, of course, after that, uh, I remember uh, the the Nixon years, and I remember the impeachment. I remember where I was when he resigned. I was in, I'd, I'd already started wrestling, and uh, I was uh, was doing a show in Lexington, Kentucky. That's when old Walter Cronkite came on and said that he had he had resigned the office instead of waiting for the impeachment. He had resigned, and and, hit the, and then of course Vietnam come along. I was already back in Vietnam then, but I lived through that. And, but these are very historic times. And then, of course, everybody remembers 9-11. You remember where you are, and I think everybody will remember this, this time right now. Yeah. Very historic time. Yeah, I just but, hope that yeah. we all come out of this in, in, in one piece and we're able to recover. Yeah. Well, I'm hoping that, that it, it does have a positive impact and that people you know start to realize that we need to take care of each other in, in this uh you know, uh, world, world of incivility has just got to end. And, and uh, you know, the, the last time, though, and there, it was before my time, but, you know, of course, all of my relatives lived through it, was World War II when the, it was the same kind of, uh, kind of impact where your, your lives changed in a matter of days and it lasted for a few years. You, know, you had to give up things and you had to, uh, you know, sacrifice and, and band together. Well, that- that's what I think now the the people coming along, the yeah. new kids, yeah. they really hadn't had to sacrifice that much. No, no. And they no, don't want to do it. And they're gonna be they're gonna be pissed off if you push a button and it's not there right away like you you're on like you're on the internet. Mm-hmm. 
they, they got some hard lessons to learn too. And this may be, I don't know. May, I'm sure it's going to be a learning experience for them, but they will not like it. I guarantee you. Yeah. I'll guarantee you that. Yeah. Listen, John, quit talking politics. Talking <laughs> damn right. All right. Damn, well, you, I, uh, all right, I can't but, even get but, you off. Of, uh, folks, it's not my fault. He did it. He, he led me down the path. Yeah, you know, and, I, and I'm still going to lead you down a little bit because um, right now, and and everybody who follows professional wrestling is is very concerned because we're seeing, like you mentioned, that WrestleMania has been canceled. Uh, they've done shows where there's not an audience, and um, you know the the real concern. Hey, I've done those. I've done those too when audience. <laughs> when but there we, wasn't, but we didn't. We didn't have a virus. We just nobody came. Just nobody showed up. But uh, yeah, no, you can I'm, relate. But the thing okay, about it is, is, is how a... the business, though, the business is is uh, it's troubling because, you know, folks, if you understand how this business works, everybody is an independent contractor. I mean, basically, they're their own business. And so, when there isn't yep. business for them, they're they're they, you know uh, these guys maybe the you know the WWE or AEW have contracts that. Uh, we'll maybe continue paying them, no problem. But there are, are thousands of independent wrestlers out there who are now have had, you know, hundreds of dates canceled, and yes. uh, that's their livelihood. So I wanted to get your take on on what's going on right now. Well, they've had everything right now up to this point has been canceled. Yeah, yeah. by and large, and you get nothing. So say a guy he's working independent shows and. He's not getting rich, but he's getting by, yeah, you know, and he's enjoying what he's doing. But say he works eight or nine, ten times a month. They've all been canceled. Yeah. And there's no way to recover that money. Yeah. I mean, you can rec- you can make it up later, but you can't recover it. That time is lost. Mm-hmm. But the thing that makes it so hard now is there's no there's no timeline of when it starts back. Right. Yeah. It's just going on and going on, and you're saying, "Damn, I hope this gets better, and I hope uh, they book some shows." Or, and then again, once it gets stopped, now people are scared to go out. Mm-hmm. So now, not only are your shows been canceled, but even when they start back, now the people are kind of leery yeah. about the being around a crowd. Yeah, I had a joke. We shouldn't joke about this, but they said, "Well, they, down here in Florida, they." They canceled any event. They've changed this since I heard this. They canceled any event that uh, would draw 250 people or more. Yeah. And I said, well, Impact Wrestling should be fine. Because yep. <laughs> 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 they probably won't draw about 100 people. Yeah, so but... they could go ahead and run. But I shouldn't say that. I, li- I like to speak. I, I know like you're joking. Yeah. And I, well, uh, am I joking? I don't know. According to, according to who's listening to it. But they were they were good to me. I was there a while. But this these guys, it's affected wrestling, and it's going to affect. That's just our world. Yeah, we're not talking about the card industry. We're not talking about the manufacturing uh, industry. We're yeah. not talking about the travel industry, which is just shredded now. I mean, it's it's a mess. Yeah, it, and, and it's I, it's it's frightening because a lot of these guys, like you said, they may have been making a decent living, uh, but they've got houses and mortgages and and kids you know they got families to take care of and many of them still don't have insurance and if by god they got sick i mean uh, who knows who's going to take care of them so it really is it's it's really uh awful when you and and i i know i saw a tweet from uh colt cabana who said somebody was saying you know what do you think uh is going to happen with the independent wrestlers and he said sadly i think we're all effed you know and and 
No, it's, they it's, are. It, yeah. I mean, I I don't yeah. I don't make my living off you know doing shows. I still do them. Mm-hmm. But I'm too old to wrestle. Plus, it hurts yeah. anyway. Yeah. And uh, but it, it doesn't really uh, it affects me because all I do is personal uh, appearances. Well, That's actually why I'm doing the podcast. You've asked me for two years, I think, to do the yeah, podcast. I have. Yes, I have, sir. <laughs> and not like I'm being a damn asshole or nothing yeah. i'm just a lazy bastard i said nah, i don't know i'd have to actually get up and talk to somebody and you know yeah. uh but it's i don't know if we're effed yeah but it's not it's not a good time and it's not a good yeah. time for fans either it's, it's really not yeah. because i really like doing conventions and somebody asked me one day this is do you like going to conventions because you, you get to see your old buddies and all and i said well Actually, I go to conventions because I find the fans much more interesting than I find the guys. Yeah. Because, you know, I, I know them, yeah. but I like to, you know, and you don't know what a fan's going to say. And if you, I just like to know what, what made you a fan. And then they'll tell me, well, I remember this time. And right. they always, they always have one match. Yep. I, say, I remember this and this, and it made me a fan for life. Right. And, and they're proud of that fact. Yeah. And one thing about wrestling fans, I find them to be the most loyal fans of all of them. Oh, absolutely. Absolutely. Things, you know, things I, I, can go down and it yeah. can be the shits. Yep. yep. And, and, but let they can say it's the bad or the shits, right. but don't let nobody else say right. it because they get pissed off. Yeah. And I find them the most loyal fans of all of them. You know, those football fans are very fickle. Yeah. You know, if their team's out, screw him and screw that, and, you know. And wrestling fans, by and large, are the same because they do like to talk and complain and bitch and moan like all the rest of us. Right. But they do it in a in a way that's uh, out of, I, I think, love for the sport more than anything else. Yeah. And when you go to conventions, you don't see them arguing and fighting, and they come to have a good time. Yeah. And they're always in, and I actually enjoy my time just talking to the fans. Yeah. So, well, I hope that, uh, you know, we see that return soon. I mean, uh, you know, I don't do a lot of dates and I've already, I already had a few done, uh, been canceled, you know, doing stuff with the NWA. And there was a couple of, uh, shows I was going to do and who knows when that's going to well, happen. Let, so, let me ask, let yeah. me, let me ask you a question. Yeah. Now yeah. we're going to find out how, re- how creative some of these companies are. Yeah. Because it's always done in front of a live audience. Yeah. Now, Raw is being done in an empty building. Yeah. And I don't know. I, I've seen some empty shows. <laughs> I've been booked on a bunch of them. But at least you had a few people there. Yeah. They have no people there. Yeah, I don't know if you watch SmackDown, uh, any of that. But it's just, it's just really bizarre to watch that. Just just Because you're so used to having, you know, thousands of people in the audience. And yep. to not have anybody, it's like a rehearsal or something. And you're just... You just keep waiting for them to break character and kind of look at, you know, and just look into the camera. I mean, they had a, I know that they had something they put up there and in between commercials, they stopped wrestling. You know, it's like. So where did they see that? Isn't there a feed that goes out that yeah. doesn't have commercials on Hulu or something? Right, or? right. Yeah, exactly. And they didn't think about that. Why, they just stand around and talk to each other yeah, or yeah. what? And we're back in like at a football game, you know, <laughs> like, here we go. Yeah. Guy puts the red. red well, now you're going to. This is new for everybody. Somebody asked me the other day, what would you do? And I was I was at a loss. I yeah. said, I don't know what the hell to do. Yeah, it's a because if, 
if you have a live audience, at least you got the feedback from their live reaction to right. go off of. Yeah. That's the way I used to book Puerto Rico. I went there one time and it was, it was, it was horrible. Usually when I would go and take it over, it was, it was almost the last resort. Well, let's bring Dutch in see if he can save it one more time. <laughs> and, I, and I would go in there and I remember I went down there the last time I was actually there, they had two companies. One was Carlos Cologne's company. Uh-huh. And this, this other company uh, sprung up by Victor Quinones. You know him? Yeah. No, I don't know. I know of him. Yes. Yeah. Well, I went in and there's a whole big, long story. I, I could spend the rest of the podcast talking about it, but it's cause I, I won't do it. But yeah. I went in and they wanted me to work for this other company. And me and Carlos got in a, like a dispute about money or this, that, and the other. And you know, he said he fired me. I said, I quit, you know, but I still like it. It's just business, really. Right. Yeah. And, uh, the other company, the new company was doing a 2.6 and they wanted to talk to me. Carlos was doing about an eight, hmm. which by Puerto Rican standards is just average wow. at the time. Wow. So I went in there and I said, well, what are you doing, guys? Uh, when I met with Victor Quinones and Savio and Miguel, that was the other company. Yeah. Uh, Miguel Pez and Savio Vega. Uh, they said, we're doing a 2.6. And I pissed them off right off the bat. And I love those guys. Yeah. I said, guys, a Viagra commercial would do a 2.6. <laughs> and they got, they, they got hot at me. Yeah. And well. I agreed. And I, I asked Carlos, I, I said, this is the deal I need, Carlos, because I knew the other company wanted me. But he wouldn't come off. He wouldn't come off the dime. Yeah. I said I need this and this and this, and he scratched his head. And you know I've known Carlos for shit twenty five years, but he said uh, we just can't afford it, which was bullshit because I knew what they were making and what they were drawing. And I knew what the houses were. Yeah. And they were getting paid by the TV. But so he told me he couldn't pay me more. I said okay. So I just literally where I was staying, I walked down the street two blocks, walked in there, five minute meeting. I said I'll take this, 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 and this. He said okay. You can start at this date. I said, okay. And that was it. And that's when you went to work for so a- I IWA? Down. Is that what you're talking about? I went to work for IWA, and yeah. I went in yeah. there, and the first creative meeting I had with them, they said, well, this is what we're doing. This guy, this guy, and this guy is doing this. I said, okay, uh, we're going to dump that. Mm-hmm. They said, uh, well, no, you didn't hear us. I said, we've we're, we're got this guy doing this and this guy doing this. I said, I heard what you said, yeah. but we're going to dump it. They said, well, we spent time on it. I said, you're still doing a two six rating. <laughs> Here's your clue, right? Yeah, yeah. I said that's why we're dumping it. Right. We're getting it's rid of it. We're starting fresh. We, so I started off two six, and I did a little something on the first TV, and we did something on the second TV and the third TV. Then it started going from a two six. It went to a three one, mm. and then it went to like a three four, and it kept climbing. And Carlos, when I left him, he was like an eight, but he was dropping down like an eight one, and We'd come up to a three six, and he dropped to like a seven seven. Mm. So the gap was being narrowed down. So, and I was getting closer and closer. Three months later, I sold out. Uh, we sold out the big show. It mm. seats about five thousand people. But uh-huh. now I'm going from two hundred people on Saturday night, yeah. doing five thousand on Saturday night with, and I, I had brought in Kane. And I remember Kane. I, I was the first guy who booked uh, book Kane. Really? I, I met him at some independent show in Southern Indiana and he was, he's from that area. Uh-huh. And I'm talking a very, a very nice guy, very respectful. Even back in the, he's oh, very respectful. 
And I told him, I said, I may be going to, uh, this is the first time, this is for a jump company. So I was going down there for Carlos. And I said, hey, if I go to Puerto Rico, you, you want to come down? He said, yeah. So I got down there and I called him. He said, you, you want to come in? He said, yeah. And I swear to God, this is what you, you hear so much about Puerto Rico, how the pay is late and the pay is. Uh, but one good thing about them, they pay weekly. Wow. Very, very, very weekly. Yeah. <laughs> that's that's <laughs> That's what he heard. Yeah. So he called me. He says, you know, Dutch, I really want to come. And, and he's brand new in the business. I really want to come. And I really appreciate that you're, you know, you're, you you did this for me. But, you know, I'm just scared to come down there. And I swear to God, I went out on the limb and I said, listen, I guarantee you, you'll get paid every week regardless. Okay. And I give him like a little bit of a guarantee. Mm-hmm. And, he, and he came. It wasn't much, but at least he could work out. And that's all he wanted to do. He wanted to work out and train and learn the business yeah so and and i didn't know if they'd be going to pay him every week or not i just said that just get him but there. he did get paid he got paid every week and i started him. but when i went with the iwa now it's just, it was the time for me to call my favor back in so i called him up and i said listen can you make this and he said, oh man I, i'm off those days and i'm so tired and i said Listen, don't make me call this favor in. Yeah, he right. went, oh, this chip. Said, okay, I'll do it. Yeah. But I'm not going to do it for nothing. I said, I didn't ask you to do it for nothing. Yeah. We'll pay you. Come on in. Yeah. So we came in, and, that, and the first weekend I was there three months, and we took over the ratings, and we took over uh, the island. Wow. And we we beat, we beat the shit out of them for two years. Yeah. And that- at one time, my biggest, my biggest rating there was an 18-1. Jesus. Wow. I mean, people, well, you can't do that in the States. I said, but I'm not in the States. It's the same rating system. Mm-hmm. But sometimes, and we do, and one thing I always did in Puerto Rico was, I always, old Tom Booker, Tom Renesto, who used to be one of the assassins, uh-huh. he told me when he was booking, and that's basically where I learned booking. I didn't know I was learning it, but he taught it to me anyway. He said, always do something to entertain yourself. That's and, pretty and much I what it comes down thing. to, right? When you're bu- to the yeah, success do, of booking, do, right? Do one thing that yeah. you enjoy to take your mind off this other stuff. Mm-hmm. So I forgot what it was. I think I had a, I had a uh, guy there who was like he had like a gay gimmick. You can't do that now, mm-hmm. and he was hilarious, and he did it great. And I did a show with him on Sunday, and I mean, and it was actually it was a good run. I I enjoyed the hell out of that. I really did. Yeah. But Dutch, say I would have a guy, I would bring a guy in. I'm going to say this and then I'm going to yeah, move on. I would yeah. bring a guy in, and, and, and this is somebody would ask me, well, how do you know what you want to do with a guy? Well, I don't. I really don't. But say I bring a brand new guy in on Saturday night and he's debuting on Saturday night and we play some kind of music, whatever it is, and we send him out there and I stand up high or stand up high in the arena and I would watch the crowd. Mm-hmm. If they would respond to him, not knowing anything about him, if they, he got a little bit of response, or if he did something in the ring, he got a little bit of response. That told me organically, right. if I had, if I did something with him, they would buy it. Yeah. And doesn't matter it doesn't matter whether he won or lost or anything else. And this is another thing I always did. I always kind of put my baby faces over mm-hmm. because I wanted the people when they paid money at the door, when they leave. They leave kind of happy, but yet looking forward to the next week. Yeah. And that's how, I, because coming there, 
you know, a lot of times when, uh, especially an independent show or even shows, I guess, with WWE, I guess, when that final bell rings, you're ready to go. You're ready to get the hell out of there. Yeah. But because we shot our TV on Saturday night, and when that final match was over, of course, the good guys with their hand in the air, everybody was happy, but nobody left because I educated them. And you could almost see them tell each other, don't leave, don't leave, wait a minute. Uh-huh. We're going to get. We're going to get the trailer for next week. Yeah. Wait a minute. Something's coming. And boom. There it was. That's great. Then they could go home. I yeah. would just, it, it took me, it took me probably about three weeks, four weeks. And they were, they were educated. Yeah. So. I think the movie industry uh, must have seen that because that's what they do with movies now. So you, they, they must have watched uh, Dutch Mantel's uh, shows back then and said, hey. This is how we keep people sitting in the theater watching the credits. <laughs> well, wait a minute. I've watched some Netflix crap. Yeah. I've been watching, you know, a lot of, a lot of, a lot of Netflix or whatever. Yeah. But, you know, with a series, this is what they're missing. Now we're off talking about TV production and crap. <laughs> we'll get there because I want to I want to talk to you about the dark side of the rink uh, as you na- okay. narrated last season. Uh, it was uh, Awesome, but uh, okay. I, I, I got be, hey fans, don't go away. I got I got a lot to say about that too. But anyway, yeah. I'm watching a series, right? And it's good, and it's good, and it's good, and it's good. Yeah. And all of a sudden, it ends, but it ends like shit. Huh. They don't know how to end it. Yeah. yeah. And then they try to, they try to come back and they try to do another season, but hell, I'm burnt out on the first one. Yeah. Beginning, you know middle, and end. I ever saw on any. <laughs> you know the greatest finish I ever saw on any series on GB was. Uh, Six feet under, six foot under. Oh yeah, you remember the series? Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. Did you, did you watch it? Did you watch the show? No, I didn't finish it, so I don't know how it how they're okay. but big finish. The last the last show, it ended, and the daughter was going to New York because she wanted to be a photographer, yeah. and her father had died. But on the way to her driving to New York, she kept having you know flashbacks, not flashbacks, but almost flash forwards. And yeah. it told you everything that happened to the family and her mother died and then her brother died and then it showed her dying. And, you know, oh. they wrapped the whole thing up in about two minutes, yeah. which I thought was one of the greatest, most creative endings to a, a series I've ever seen. Yeah. All right. So next question. All right. So, but I, I just want to, uh, let's wrap up Puerto Rico um, because I, I heard you oh, say, I yeah, but I, I heard you. It up. Yeah, I know, but there was one. Yeah. But I wanted to ask you though, because I know I heard uh, one of your comments, and you said, you know, you were always uneasy. There was something uneasy about being in Puerto Rico, and yet it was such a big part of your career. And I was just, what, what, what was it about that place and the role it played in your life? Uh, was it just opportunity and circumstance, or, or why? Why did you? Well, I, I, I went down there. This is how stupid I was. <sighs> about the wrestling business. Yeah. I went down to Puerto Rico the first time. Remember I told you my mentors like Tom Renesto of the Assassins? Yeah. A very intelligent yeah. man. You know, you would very well spoken and but he, he taught me so much about this business. But he booked me down there and I went down there thinking that this company had been in business like for 10, 15, 20 years. Mm-hmm. Hell by the time I got down there they don't. I, I found out they'd only been in business for two or three years. No oh boy. They were like, they were just brand new to the business. Mm-hmm. And the reason I got over down there was, see, I used to go out on the street after people see me on TV, and they would. This is how I learned to speak a little bit of the Spanish. I know you. You always learn 
the curse words yeah. first. <laughs> Susio was Dutch. You know, I mean, it's dirty. Yeah. Susio Dutch yeah. was, was, was dirty Dutch. Mm-hmm. <clears throat> so I'd walk down the street and I'd say, Cabron. I didn't know what Cabron meant. Cabron, yeah. But I knew it couldn't be good because of the way that, <laughs> he said that it. guttural sound when they say Cabron, you know what? Or he hold it Yeah. I said, See, I thought they didn't like me because of my great wrestling ability. No, they didn't like me because they thought I was just no good bastard. Yeah. And they're a little passionate the down there. They're a little passionate in Puerto no, Rico about No wrestling. kidding. Yeah. And very nationalistic. Yeah, oh yeah. And I kind of I kind of studied that right off the bat. So yeah. I was the first American heel mm. that went in there and trash talked the island. And yeah. I would call the I would call them, you know, that we need to cut off all the welfare to the island. And I would oh, never geez. do it. I would never do an interview in Spanish because I would tell, I would always have a translator. The American guys would always have a translator, Mm -hmm. but I would get him to say first that tell the people I speak Spanish fluently, Mm -hmm. but I refuse to speak the language because I consider it a primitive language. God. Boy, talk about heat. I actually actually learned the word is called idioma primitiva, something Uh, primitive language. God. And then I call the women like unpaid prostitutes. <laughs> you know, and then I tell the man that's a different man, level like, of heat, though, uh, Dutch. You can lose your life there talking that way. I mean, no, did you, well, did... I wasn't out there to win an election. Yeah, I was there to sell tickets. I was the first heel that went out there and really just trash talked that island. I would go to the stadiums. We set a record down there. We went outside to the baseball stadium, and they never do this. Yeah, they usually go to the baseball stadium for a, for a big show. Ever, you know, it's like a pay per view. Yeah. Except you didn't have any TV cameras, and people actually have to buy tickets and come to the stadium. Mm-hmm. They would do that like every four to six weeks. We went nine weeks in a row outside and sold out. Mm-hmm. Like wow. 15, between 14 and 16,000 fans Jeez. every week. Nine, nine, nine weeks in a row. And this is, this is another thing I don't, I don't tell a lot of people, but you know, usually your main event is on last. Right. But in Puerto Rico, it was on fourth. Hmm. I thought that was the stupidest yeah. thing I've ever heard of in my life. And so one day, I just asked Carlos, I said, Carlos, I don't get it, man. Why do you put your main event on fourth? He said, well, these people like to drink. Yeah. And he says, by the time the main event goes out there, it's got so much heat behind it. You guys would never get out of the ring if we was a fact <laughs> because they would all be they'd so drunk. Yeah. And they would, they'd, they'd want, want to kill you, and they tried to kill you, kill me anyway. Jesus. Oh, I, I, sometimes you've heard of fighting your way out of the ring. Yeah, yeah. There was one time down there we was in the San, uh, I mean, the Roberto Clemente Coliseum. Mm-hmm. It's about 16,000, I guess, 15,000. Yeah. Packed. And we had eight cops to take us to the ring on fourth, and it was a barbed wire match, which is, and for some reason, they had a commission. I don't know what all that shit was. We didn't even have the barbed wire match. We just had the match. Yeah. But we actually fought our way to the ring. Jeez. Because the people were, we had six or eight cops around us where they were pitching. I mean, they were punching. <laughs> they were kicking. Batons. And they throw us. And they were beating the crap out of the cops, too. Jeez. You know, I was thinking, I hope these cops just don't say, screw these guys. Yeah. Make it, they're they're paying us enough for this. 
So we got in the ring, and it was me and Frank, Cowboy Frankie Lane. And here's another thing nobody knows. I didn't even know the guy before I got there, and they teamed us up, two mm-hmm. cowboys. So we got in the ring, and I looked, the and they're all, this is the fourth match. Mm-hmm. And, of course, it was like 10 o'clock at night then because yeah. it's supposed to start at 8.30. They start by 9.22 or 17 after, whenever they want to. They, that's when they start the show. But I looked out at that crowd, and I said, Frankie, come here. And he was on another corner. Uh, he said, what? I said, you see those people there we just come from? He said, yeah. I said, in about 15 minutes. I can almost guarantee you we're going to have to go right back through them some bitches one more time. And he said, I, I said and I doubt. Take another route. Some bitches is going anywhere because they're going to be waiting on us. Yeah. So on the way, we lost the match. Yeah. And then uh, we fought our way back out of that ring. Yeah. This is an, uh, you ever hear this, Sean, yeah. that sometimes the noise can get so loud, then it gets quiet kind of in your eardrums. Yeah. You ever yeah. hear that? Yeah. That's the what they introduced, they introduced Carlos Colon that night. The guy was, he was so over. I mean, I hear, I heard him. It got louder and louder and louder and it peaked up and all of a sudden it's like a, a switch flip and went, yeah. and I think I, I read up on it. It's to save your eardrums, I think. Yeah. Wow. Because it keeps you from going deaf. But wow. it was the loudest, uh, 16,000 people screaming because they're they're passionate about everything yeah it was so loud in that ring it was it was almost scary yeah well and then that night yeah that night the matches are over i guess about they go late anyway Mm -hmm. uh because the guy he 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 makes just half of his living off southern concessions and i don't blame him well i left that building at 2 30 in the morning and they were still waiting on me jeez and I wouldn't have waited. I wouldn't have left at two thirty, except the cops said, "Screw it, we're leaving." They left. So now, now we're walking out of that building, of that stadium, at two thirty in the morning, and they're still out there waiting on us. So we pulled off, and boy, you could hear the things hitting the car. Boom, boom, boom! They're throwing. They beat the hell out of the car. Yeah. It was very, very, very dangerous. Yeah, no, it was. And, and uh, of course, you know. Uh, most know that that you were there when when Brody uh, Bruiser Brody was was killed. Uh, I don't think you were yep. in the building when it happened, but I know you were there in the aftermath. And uh, it, it really was a, a, a wild west there, as far as the law went for oh for yeah. people. There. It was, and you know, I, I I've, I've written a story on it. You still find it somewhere. Yeah, it's yeah. buried, and if you just dig down in. But my story has remained consistent all these years. Mm-hmm. I walked in and I saw him sitting there and then I got up and I've told people this story because I was so, uh, this was in 88. This yeah. was about nine years after I had the hot run there. Yeah. But I was so kind of clued in to feeling this, just the vibe in the air especially in Puerto Rico. Right. So, and I was sitting in that dressing room and I was sitting right beside Brody and I just, it just felt something was wrong. And I said, man, there's some, I didn't tell Brody, but I was just thinking, man, there's, there's some heat in the air here. Mm-hmm. I can feel it. I can feel it. And I've, I've had that feeling before and it has saved me from, a, say I, I would go to a bar or something and somebody said, man, you, you left too soon. They said, why? They said, this hell of a fight broke out. 
about right where you were standing over there, and you, you said you'd have been right in the middle of it. Yeah. But I could feel this, and I don't know what you like a sense what you attributed to. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, yes, and I got up, and I remember when I I, I walked out to the dugout, and you got to go down some steps, and you got to walk about another twenty, thirty feet to the dugout, and I went and sit in the dugout, and you could watch the people coming in, yeah. and you could tell early it was going to sell out because uh, the middle was filling up pretty fast, and there was going to be a going to be a sold out crowd, and I remember I only sat there maybe six, seven, eight minutes, no more. But by the time I got back, walking back to those steps to go up into that, and it's a baseball stadium. It's a baseball dressing room is what yeah, it is. Right. And I, I heard all kind of screaming and hollering, yeah, and blah, blah, blah. And I walked up there and heard a guy say, I said, what's going on here? And they said, Jose stabbed Brody. I said, what? Jose stabbed Brody. And still didn't imagine. See, Jose, everybody's down there is named Jose. Mm-hmm. I don't know what Jose you're talking about. Yeah. He didn't say invader. I said, what? He said, invader. Invader stabbed Brody. Now, listen, when you go back to, you leave a room, and you come back, and all of a sudden, you get the news somebody has been stabbed. I mean, that doesn't really, you can't imagine what had happened. And I walked in there, and there was Brody. He was laid out on the floor, and he had a, they had a doctor there, and he was standing over him, and they were trying to get an ambulance there. And it took them 45 minutes to get the ambulance there because of the way the stadium is constructed. It's narrow streets. See, they were built for like 1950 traffic or 1960 traffic. And this was 88, so it was 30 years removed from where it should have been. I mean, uh, before the the amount of cars that the streets could handle. And it was just, uh, it was, it was, it was just turmoil. And, well, I, we think all you, know I think you've mentioned that, that they were like going over their matches like nothing was had happened, which was just kind of bizarre. Well, that was later. Yeah. I, I actually, they got him to the they got him to the out uh, in the in the ambulance and took him to the hospital. Mm-hmm. Now, at that point, I, I'm thinking I'm thinking he's going to be OK. Mm-hmm. The, the last thing in my mind, I thought that he would die. Yeah. He was talking and everything so, to. He was talking a little bit, but, and they took him out. And I remember when I left the stadium that night and let me throw this back in there. When after the matches started and that invader was kind of like the booker and he left, he took off. Mm. And I remember when he left, he, he came out of the shower. It all happened in the shower. Yeah. And he came out of the shower and walked around Brody to his locker he was over there in the corner, and he wasn't—he wasn't about six or eight feet from Brody at the time when he—he—he he, he got his keys and went out and got his car. And he left. Hmm. I thought he was gone for the night too, but after Brody left, after they got him out in the ambulance, then Invader came back and continued onward like nothing had happened. Hmm. Now this time, I'm thinking, what the hell is going on here? And I mean, Tony Anthony was raising hell. And he was telling everybody, hey, that man's going to die. That man's going to die. And I told him one time, I said, Tony, don't even say that. Don't say, he said, no, Dutch, he's, he's going to die. That man's going to die. And I didn't want to think that way. But, and I told him, I said, hey, you don't. I mean, he was, he was, and he was really upset. I was Are you too. talking about Tony Atlas? Yeah, Tony Atlas. Yeah. And, 
I mean, he was yeah. getting it worked up. And I mean, Invader had his brother there, and Invader says he told somebody maybe Tony's next to something. Wow. That's the that's a rumor. I didn't yeah. hear him say that. Yeah. But I remember going leaving. We were on last that night. It was me and it was me and Tony against uh, Bobby Jaggers and his partner. I can't quite remember his partner's name. He was a Canadian kid. And we had this match, and I remember getting in the ring, and, and Jaggers is saying, what happened? What happened over there? Blah, blah, blah. And I'm trying to tell him, you know, we should be going over the match. I'm trying to tell him what happened in the dressing room. Yeah. And uh, finished the match. I went back, took a quick shower, and got in the car. And I asked, where did they take Brody? And they said he took him to, like, Centro Medico, which is, you know, Medical Central. It's yeah. close to the University of Puerto Rico. And I walked up to the emergency room, and there was a guy walking in with just his blue scrubs on. And he's smoking a cigarette. And I said, hey, did they bring a wrestler in here? He said, yeah. He says, I'm the surgeon. I, 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 I operated on him. And I said, how's he doing? And he said, uh, it's touch and go right now. Huh. That's what he said. Yeah. And I remember... He said he's recovering, and they were going to get him a room. And so, you know, touch and go can mean a lot of things. He didn't mean I didn't. He didn't tell me he was close to death. Yeah. That would really upset me. I'd wanted to say, but there was nothing I could do. So I went back to the hotel that we were staying in, and I walked downstairs. And there's a, a, a nice Puerto Rican girl. She was working there, and I forgot her name, but she was from Chicago. But she spoke she spoke perfect English. Mm-hmm. And uh, I asked her, I said, if you get any calls for Frank Goodish's room, put it through to mine. And it was about, time I got back, it was about 3 o'clock in the morning. And and I couldn't sleep. I kept tossing and turning and, you know, it's, you know, a, a, a dressing room is like your sanctuary. Mm. That's where nothing can get you. Yeah. And then if you have a fight with another guy and all of a sudden you, you get hurt in there, that's not... You know, nobody thinks that. Right. And uh, I told the girl, I said, if he gets a call to his room, because I, I knew his wife would probably be calling, because I think, I, I doubt if he made a call. Yeah. But she did know about it, and she called his room, and they put her through to my room, and her name is Barbara, and I never met her. I, I've never met her even today. Mm. And I told her, and I'm thinking, you know, I don't know what to say. I didn't want to unduly alarm her, but I told her, I said, there's been a little bit of an accident. And she said, well, I heard there was like a fight. And I said, well, yeah, there was something like that. And I, I didn't tell her any more than I had to tell her because I didn't want to upset her because yeah. she was in San Antonio, Texas. Yeah. I said, I think he got hurt. He's in the hospital. And I think it'd be a good idea if maybe you got down here as quick as you could. Mm. So she was there the next morning. And how she found out that Brody had died is she saw Abdullah in the airport. And she said hello to him. And she said, how's Frank? And Abdullah told me this. He said, he, he looked at it and said, he's gone. He's gone. Jesus. I mean, that's a hard way to find out your yeah. husband had just died. Wow. So, and, uh, and yeah, you wanted to talk about the, the dark side of the ring. Well, uh, but the, the we'll what get I did, on that. Yeah, before we get to that, yeah, before we get to that though, is you know after that because uh, we all know how that ended up. I mean, the guy basically got off, 
And uh, how did that change uh, the way American wrestlers would go to Puerto Rico following that? Because you, knowing that if something happened, uh, some kind of dispute or wherever, whatever, as far as the law wasn't going to help you, and you could no, lose your killed, life. It, it, actually, it actually killed Puerto Rico. They're drawing. Yeah. Because the people, the, people got, the people got mad at the promotion. They got disgusted? They actually said, no, they, they were disgusted with it. And... What about Americans coming there? Didn't they say for? Well, yeah, they boy they boy, they boycotted it. Yeah, you know this is a story I've always heard. Ric Flair has told everybody that he was there. Uh. You ever heard that story? No. Well, he tells everybody. He even told me one time he was there, uh. and I I was there, and Ric Flair was not there. I don't think Ric Flair has ever been there about twice. Uh. I think, but he said they, and when I went back down there to. To book it, I think I, I called Flair, and I think I made some kind of deal with him, but he he, he didn't come, so yeah. it didn't matter. Yeah. But uh, yeah, that's why I went back in nineteen. I think I went back in nineteen ninety ninety three. I went back because they were just dead, dying. Yeah. So they called me one day and wanted me to was I interested because in helping them book it. And I said, well, yeah. And, but I, I knew how they paid, so I, I made sure my money was kind of taken care of before I even, even thought about going. Yeah. And, uh, so I went down there, and it was a, it was a tough. It's ninety three, and it was it was a tough road to hoe. But I finally got it up to where they were making a little bit of money. They didn't tell me when I went down there. They actually changed the name of the company because they had filed bankruptcy. Mm. You know, they kind of conveniently left that out of the negotiations. <laughs> they had they had fired they had bank, bankruptcy, and all of a sudden they didn't have no money. Yeah. But I went down and we got it up, and that's, that's and then I left from there, and then I went for, to the WWF for the for the first time. Now with Uncle Zeb did right. managing the Blue Brothers. Yeah. So. Step into the world of power, loyalty, and luck. I'm gonna make him an offer he can't refuse. With family cannolis and spins mean everything now you want to get mixed up in the family business introducing the godfather at chumpacasino.com test your luck in the shadowy world of the godfather slot someday i will call upon you to do a service for me play the godfather now at chumpacasino.com welcome to the family vgw group no purchase necessary void where prohibited by law see terms and conditions 18 plus it is ryan here and i have a question for you what do you do when you win like, are you a fist pumper, a woohooer, a hand clapper, a high fiver? I kind of like the high five, but if you want to hone in on those winning moves, check out Chumba Casino. At chumbacasino.com, choose from hundreds of social casino style games for your chance to redeem serious cash prizes. There are new game releases weekly, plus free daily bonuses. So don't wait. Start having the most fun ever at chumbacasino.com. No purchase necessary. DTW, void, we prohibited by law. See terms and conditions 18 plus. With lucky landslots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. Dear Dearly beloved, we are gathered here today to... Has anyone seen the bride and groom? Sorry, sorry, we're here. We were getting lucky in the limo and we lost track of time. No, Lucky Land Casino, with cash prizes that add up quicker than a guest registry. In that case, I pronounce you lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandSlots.com. Daily bonuses are waiting. No purchase necessary. Void were prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details.
Judy was boring. Hello. Then Judy discovered Jumbacasino.com. It's my little escape. Now Judy's the life of the party. Oh, baby, mama's bringing home the bacon. Whoa, take it easy, Judy. The Chumba life is for everybody. So go to ChumbaCasino.com and play over 100 casino-style games. Join today and play for free for your chance to redeem some serious prizes. ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. Voidware prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details. All right. So the, getting on the topic, uh, you were you were fabulous, by the way, as the, the narrator of uh, The Dark Side of the Ring. I mean, really, just a, a great voice for that. And, of course, uh, uh Bruiser Brody was one of the stories, but uh, what I mean, I, a tremendous series. And, and as far as revealing some of these stories that, um, you know, a lot of people had no idea on how a, a lot of these things actually happened. And I think they're pretty damn factual. Well, they were as factual as, as, as you're going to find, I think, because yeah. those guys, they really researched it and they talked oh, yeah. to a lot of people. And uh, I'm not on this year's uh, Dark Side of the Ring. Damn it. Yeah. I, I think what Jericho's there is. Jericho's doing it. And it's not that they they didn't want to use me. They couldn't use me. And the reason being is because Vice is in Montreal. No, it's in Ontario. Uh, Toronto. In Canada, yeah. In Toronto. And, and they, they partnered with another TV station and like the uh, like the PBS of Canada. Mm-hmm. They partnered with them. Now, since they're using government money, you know, one of the rules is, and this is what you run into when you deal with government, huh. anybody that worked on the show other than talent, if you had a cameraman, he had to be Canadian. Uh-huh. If you had a sound engineer, he had to be Canadian. The narrator had to be Canadian. Wow. And guess what? Yeah. I'm not Canadian. Not Canadian, yeah. And that's why how Jericho got in there, because he's Canadian. Actually, actually Jericho is uh, his dual citizenship, dual citizenship I think. Yeah. Yeah. He's American and Canadian. Yeah. I don't know how that happens, but uh. but that's why the guy told me, he said, man, I've been trying to work this out where I could get you back up here and we could, you know, we could work together. He said, because the people enjoyed you last yeah, time. Yeah, no, really. And, but he said, I can't do it. I, uh. He said, I, I've tried to put all kinds of titles on you, but it's still, you're an American. Yeah. And I, I just can't do it. He says, since you're not talent, you're not on every show talking about what we're talking about. So, you're a, you would be you could be an American then, but since you're going to be on every show and you're not a Canadian, I just can't do it. Yeah. I said okay, sure did. Well, Good guys, yeah, and, and, and it, they they work hard at it. Evan Husney and Jason Eisner are their yeah. names. Yeah. And uh, if you ever get a chance to meet them and talk to them, and and no, I'm happy this to, is why I like, you know, we just had them back. So this is why I like. To, have you ever met them? You've talked to them? Uh, yeah, we have, they've been on the podcast now, and uh, we just had them back too for this season. So uh, how did how did you how did that come about? Because there's you know all kinds of voices in wrestling that they could use for this. How did they come to you to do the series, or how did that happen? Well, I guess it was like almost an accident. Uh-huh. They were doing the Bruzy Brody episode first. Yeah, and right. he told me he said you were the first talent that we that we talked to. Huh. Uh, out of all of them, you were the first one that we but they just talked to me is because I was there during the Bruiser Brody incident. Yeah. And that's how I met him. Yeah. Then he would call me oh, up and we wow. would talk. Yeah. And I would give him some advice and he kinda liked me. 
and uh, then I put him in contact with Cornette. He's a historian on everything, and he liked Jimmy, and uh, that's how I started. Yeah. And I just and they came to Nashville when they they wanted to do the voiceovers. Yeah, I didn't have to travel anywhere. Wow. They came to Nashville, and if you want to record anything, you yeah, can't be a, in a better. <laughs> Nashville is a great place. Yeah. Well, I, I no, don't know. You can't be in a better place than Nashville. Yeah. Did you, do you have an agent now, like for voiceover? No. You should get one. Should I'm, I? not, I'm serious. You should get one because uh, you have that very comfortable voice, but the, that uh, kind of, you know, frontier kind of, I mean, people, I, I, I think you should do it. Uh, just, just, just coming from Mooney, whatever yeah. that's worth. But really, you have a great voice for it. Uh, I, you know, we're, we're going all over the place on this and I, and I won't take a whole lot of time. We got questions that I got a few to throw at you, but, uh, I'm always fascinated Dutch by where people come from and because it has such an impact on your life. And, uh, I don't know how much you would get into it, but I know you, you said you grew up dirt poor and lost your mom at a young age and, uh, had an alcoholic father, which I can certainly identify with. And it had it yep. certainly had a, a great impact on my life, and I just was very interested to you know hear about at least those beginnings and how it did shape your life. Well, I had a a burning desire to get out of there. Yeah, I mean, I weren't, and what smartened me up to the world was when I got drafted. Then I started seeing there was a whole whole big world out there yeah. that needed to be explored. So then I served served in the army and you know traveled all over and and then I, I just I had a friend who got into wrestling and he we were all like I, I kind of wrestled a little bit when I was like eighteen or nineteen yeah but that was because my brother he was in love with the business and he wanted to be a he actually wanted to be in the wrestling business but he was married and had a couple of kids so he really couldn't do it yeah so I remember when I got out of the army I. He, the guy, his name, he's dead now. He died while I was actually there. I'd only been there about six months or so. No, he was, uh, he was making the trip one day Yeah. and you could look him up. He was, he was called generic name. He was Mr. X, but he was like six, eight, about 400 pounds yeah. and oh, very agile for giant. a man that big, yeah. but he was going south on interstate 75 one day and he went to sleep at the wheel and went right up under, uh, a state truck putting in like those those middle railings bars oh yeah separate and it and he ran right up under the back end of a of a truck mm. and actually de- decapitated him jeez and i was actually living with him and then i had to i was in another town and they called me that night and they wanted me to call his mother and father and tell him that he'd been killed jeez. and that was a uh, and hey i, I was like 21 years old. Yeah, but... Uh, maybe a little older, but Dutch, still, telling yeah. somebody that happens is very tough. Yeah, but Dutch, before we get into the wrestling aspect of your life, uh, you know, you, you kind of brush past it, but, I mean, you served in Vietnam and, and were boots on the ground, and I know you don't like to talk about it, but at the same time, you said, you know, you discovered there's a whole world out there. What impact did that have, what, you, what your experience in that during the war? that also impacted your life and said, you know, I'm going to make the most of this for as long as I'm here. Well, I just, I, I don't even know how to answer that. I just, I was just glad that I came out in one piece. And I mean, even, 
years after I got out of the army, when I when I would hear a loud sound, yeah, I would jump. And sometimes it even happens now when I hear a loud sound, yeah, yeah. I'll jump. Scares the crap out of me. And but but I would meet. I see. I would meet guys there from all. I, I meet people there from all over the country. Yeah, I'd meet them from and and they and they the guys from up north love me. Yeah, because they like the accent. I guess I don't know. And I'm, I was kind of, pretty, I was pretty funny. And a couple of guys in New Jersey, they thought I was the funniest. And they said, "Hey, tell us that story, this, that, and the other." And I'd tell them I was a beat. I was like a, the humor guy for a while, and they would just laugh. And they were good guys. Then I'd meet a guy from Texas, and then you'd meet them from, you know, all over the country. So that's when I learned that there are different people yeah. in different parts of the country, and I wanted to go see that. <laughs> so. I, when I when I got out, I said, "Well, I'm going to make the the best." And I kind of had an idea mm-hmm. that I wanted to go into wrestling then, because my brother would write me letters, and we ran this show here, and we ran it there, and you know, and yeah. and uh, then my friend he went to work for the Atlanta office of the NWA, and remember I told you my mentor Tom Ernesto, yes, yeah. he he was he was the booker. Uh-huh. And and I first met him when, when my friend took me over there to to the old office, and it looked like, oh my God, it looked like the damn it looked like a bomb had hit that building. But that was the wrestling building, <laughs> you know. It's like the Sportatorium in Dallas, except yeah. it wasn't as big. And you know, if they had just spent a little money on this arena and that they had in Atlanta, they could have really they could have turned it into a real dump. <laughs> <laughs> It was horrible. Wow, that's bad. But the guy, but the guy, and he asked me. I remember he said, "Well, you want to, you want to start working with us?" I said, "Yeah." And he said, "Well, the guy's name that got killed, my friend, was Mister X. Was he was named Doug?" He said, "Well, Doug says that uh, that you're pretty good." <laughs> hey, I'd only had like twenty matches, Jeez. so, and I remember he said, "Well, I need you to, can you make Valdosta, Georgia?" And I was in South Carolina. And I keep that as quiet as I can. But from where I had to come, like Greenville, South Carolina, or Anderson, South Carolina, to Valdosta, Georgia, it's like 350 miles or something. And I had a car. It was like a 19. <laughs> this was 70, 72. I had a 1961 Ford Fairlane uh, like sedan, but with no air conditioning. And I drove down there in the heat, like 350 miles, and to Valdosta, Georgia, and made a show. And I didn't know that when I was making the show, it was like an audition. So I must have did okay. So then they, they started me, yeah. and that's, that's, that's when I started working. Right. And he told me, he said, how much money you need? And now I'm thinking, well, and I told him, I said, I don't really need a lot, to tell you the truth. <laughs> and I didn't. And he said, well, okay, I'll take care of you a little bit. And back in those days, I'd make like, I don't know, $300 a week, which back in those days, it was like, I don't know. My rent was $125 yeah. a month. Right. That's a lot of money. So, you know, then. you hear $300, $300 and back then, I said, damn. Because yeah. I had had a job. That's what I like about wrestling. If I hadn't have gone into wrestling, I would have had to go out and actually get a real job. Show which up. I, I've had. I, yeah, yeah. Then you got to show up, and this this is what I found out about a real job. When you show up, they actually want you to do something. Yeah, you yeah. know, they want you to the do you know produce something or 
and I, I, you know, and they, I didn't like the hours, like that eight to three or whatever it was. I didn't like that. Yeah. I told them, I said, listen, I'm more like a, like a quarter to nine or nine fifteen guy and maybe to 1130. That's kind of my hour. So if you can work that in. <laughs> and be, I, and, and, uh, great. Yeah. and I told them, I said, and it would help if you, when I walked into the room, if you'd turn the lights down yeah. and start playing some music. Yeah. And start throwing some stuff like they do in Japan. They throw those like ribbons at you yeah. and put a spotlight on me. I said, "Yeah, I can kind of, I can kind of get by with that." Yeah, so that but anyway, that, that's so how, well. I, yeah. yeah, that's how I started, and I made all the little crappy towns. And of course, that's what you do. But you know, even making the crappy towns, I'm still making more. Than, you know, on the job, I'd only be making like I don't know, eighty dollars a week, and they take taxes out on it. Yeah. But, all right. That's that's what I, I like about it. when you got a check for three hundred dollars, you got three hundred dollars, yeah. and there would be no tax because you do that at the end of the year. But that was that's an, and that's another story. So. Yeah, right. Um, we could go on for another hour just talking about uh, your progression and and all the different organizations you worked in. But one thing I do want to make clear to people because I don't know, you know, there's a lot of fans out there uh, of you that just know you as a manager and the character Dutch Mantel being, you know. Uh, not necessarily in the ring, but you were a tremendous wrestler. And, folks, I'm telling you, if you ever really want to uh, take a look at Dutch and his prime and some of the greatest matches, just go out on YouTube and select a match with Randy Savage or Jerry Lawler. I mean, that would give you a great uh, view. And and uh, with that, Dutch, why did you have such great chemistry with those guys? Why did those, those matches uh, go over so well? Well, we wanted them to... To look as real as as it as Boy. it can be, yeah. Because even back in those days, you know, you hear the you, you know you've always heard wrestling is fake since day one. Yeah. Uh-huh. But yet, if you could put a little bit of uh, disbelief in them, that's what you were looking for. Because to me, I, I would think that where does the where does the the fake stop and the real begin? Mm-hmm. Because I've heard people say. Yeah, it's all fake, but hey, I saw this match one time. Right. Those right. guys got really, really mad. Yeah. But see, I, I think if all of a sudden you go out there, and back in those days, if you insulted them, you lost them. Right. And that, that they can forgive you for a lot of things. Yeah, their intelligence. They would not forgive you. <laughs> yeah. yeah, they wouldn't forgive you for insulting their intelligence and yeah. taking them for an idiot. Right. They wouldn't forgive you for that. But as long, and they appreciated hard work. They, they, they appreciated, I mean, I mean, I mean, me and Savage, we would go to the ring and, and I first met Savage in 1978, I think, uh-huh. and we went to Nashville. We were in, in there and we were both heels, yeah. but they didn't have any baby faces. And yeah. I told him one day, I said, Hey man, we're putting our heads against the wall here. Yeah. I says, we need to work against each other. And he liked that idea. He said, he wanted to be a heel anyway. I said, well, well, let me go ahead and. And we told Tom Ernesto, my mentor, he's there. That's how I got there. Yeah. And he, we worked this simple little angle where I turned babyface against Savage. And we would go in. And Nashville's night was like a Wednesday, yeah. like in the little, they call it the, I don't know, the, it was at the fairground. But they just had a building called the Women's Building or something, the Women's Pavilion or something. Yeah. And they would join on Wednesday night about 150 people, maybe. And Nashville was a pretty good-sized town. Yeah. So four weeks later, we did this a couple of things on TV because the ratings was good. And on, then we, we started selling out the building. 
and it wouldn't hold more than 600. That's all you could get in there. But we went from 150 to 600 in a matter of about three or four weeks. And when we were going, they they were used to like matches going eight minutes, 10 minutes. We would go in there sometimes and we would go 45. We would go 50. So when the people left, they said, damn. We actually saw something we'd never seen before, and the match was good all the way through. One time we had a match, and the guy, I think I won, the people were up, or whatever, Savage pitched in the pit. I left, and the guy said, great, great job, Dutch, and he went to shake my hand. I I shook his hand, and he he put something in it. It was like money. I could tell what it was, and I'm blind as hell. And I thought maybe he put like a $10 bill in there, like a little tip or 20 I got to the dressing room, and I looked down. It was a $100 bill. But you know, for a guy to give you a $100 tip yeah. in 1978, hell, that was a uh, yeah, that was, a that was almost all. No, it was, it, was, it was a hell of a payout. Yeah. And I remember I went, and um, I made a – I give Savage 50 bucks, and we went from there. It is Ryan here, and I have a question for you. What do you do when you win? Like, are you a fist pumper? A woohooer, a hand clapper, a high fiver. I kind of like the high five, but if you want to hone in on those winning moves, check out Chumba Casino. At chumbacasino.com, choose from hundreds of social casino style games for your chance to redeem serious cash prizes. There are new game releases weekly, plus free daily bonuses. So don't wait. Start having the most fun ever at chumbacasino.com. No purchase necessary. DTW, void, we're prohibited by law. See terms and conditions 18 plus. Hello, it is Ryan, and we could all use an extra bright spot in our day, couldn't we? Just to make up for things like sitting in traffic, doing the dishes, counting your steps, you know, all the mundane stuff. That is why I'm such a big fan of Chumba Casino. Chumba Casino has all your favorite social casino style games that you can play for free anytime, anywhere with daily bonuses. That should brighten your day a little. Actually, a lot. So sign up now at ChumbaCasino.com. That's ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. BTW. Void. we prohibited by law. See terms and conditions. 18 plus. Talking about Randy, though. I mean, Randy is one of my all-time performers, not just because I had the, the privilege of working with him, but really just watching him and his, his work ethic. And I think you said that you used to slap yourself before you went out there because you knew you had to raise that intensity level to match him. Uh, what was well, it yeah, really? He, it, no, he, he was... Savage was full tip boogie the whole time. Yeah. I mean, you know, his real name was Randy Poffo, and he morphed into Randy Savage, and then he morphed into Macho Man. So he had a couple of uh, complete changes in his career. Yeah. When I met him in Nashville, he was like in the – he was on the cusp. He was Randy Savage, but he was on the cusp of doing the Macho Man. Mm-hmm. I mean, really becoming Macho Man. Of course, he called himself Macho Man then. And why he got over so well, you know, you're watching a, a TV show on Saturday afternoon, and you're, and they didn't have a lot of channels. So when you go from one channel to the next channel to the next channel, and all of a sudden you cross the wrestling channel, and you're not a wrestling fan, but all of a sudden you land on Savage doing an interview. Oh, yeah. Right, right. You know, he was doing crackhead stuff before crackheads that was ever even a thought in anybody's mind. Yeah. So, I mean, he was just, he was something totally different for the, for the era. And then, you know, he was so intense, and I was kind of always, uh, like, uh, I would do interviews. I wouldn't scream and yell, and I would just tell them the way it was going to be. And, and the people, it was two different two different styles, and we meshed, and it worked. Oh, God, yeah. I mean, really, I hope folks take the time, really look that up. The one where you uh, he, he uh, stomps your hat, um, that, uh, that match was just 
uh, incredible. And, and take the time, just search it. Randy Savage, Dutch Mantel, and, and check out those matches. And the, other, and the other one I wanted to mention, though, was Jerry Lawler, who, and you talk about blurring that line. I don't know if anybody yep. throws a better punch. When you go back and look at some of the uh, exchanges with, with Jerry and, that he would have with guys and some of the, the matches you guys had, uh, was he a, among the best as far as, uh, you know, punches? Throwing a punch. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. Well, he's an, he's an artist, and yeah, he had, you know, really. he, to, to not knock somebody's head off, which I'm guilty of, to you, to, <laughs> you know, some of my punches look good because I just knocked the shit out of them. Yeah. But, but he, he, he had such uh, precise yeah. hand to uh, eye coordination. It was, but then again, you got to anticipate when it, it comes close, you got to go with it. Yeah, sell but it. Yeah. It was, he was, uh, you know, I was watching a match the other day. This is a, this has to be a record. We had a Texas tag team, Texas death mask falls don't count or something. Right. And we went, we went like, uh, close to an hour yeah. or maybe an hour and 10 minutes. I mean, Lance Russell, he announced it at 52 minutes, but we did 26 falls in that match. Gee whiz. See, we were only <laughs> supposed to go eight. So we got in the ring and the people were just, I mean, they were just—they were with everything. That was—it was just—it was, just, was one of those nights where it's just electric, yeah. and everything you do, the people are there, and they're there, and they're there. And I remember one time we were supposed to go eight balls or seven balls, yeah. and but then we went again. We went ten, and then I looked at Lon. I said, "What do? You, how long are you gonna go?" He says, "I don't know. Till we get tired, I guess." Because he was having a good time, yeah. and we was having as as good a time as the fans. Yeah. So we end up going 26 falls and then we had a big fight after that and the place was sold out and packed and it was just that that was the beauty about memphis memphis had great fans and you know one time they in 1970 uh i mean 1982 which was the best year in memphis wrestling history as far as tickets uh, tickets were concerned they the, the memphis mid-south sold more tickets than madison square garden now, of wow. course, Madison Square Garden only ran once a month. Memphis run four times a month. So, and I think Memphis, I think Mark James in his book, Memphis, I think, uh, he, he said it was over 400,000 tickets they sold. We used to fall out in Memphis on Monday night. They'd be 8,000, 9,000, 10,000. And, of course, that year also was, was the year me and Lawler, we had our, we had our run. And we only wrestled three times in Memphis, but it took us about eight weeks to do it. Yeah, that's I mean, when you can tell the story. You talk about great yeah. storylines back then. Yeah, I, he, I remember I beat him for the title, and yeah. then Jimmy Hart and his guys came in, and they were beating the hell out of Lawler. And all of a sudden, the people that were, were hated me before said, we split the town. Half were for Lawler, or say 40, 60% were for Lawler, and I had 40%, but they were very vocal. Yeah. And uh, so when he beat me, of course, the – 60% who was Lawler, they cheered. And of course, they was, they was in a big shouting contest with, with all the Dutch fans. But when Jimmy Hart's guys coming in and were beating the hell out of Lawler, even though we were both baby faces, quite naturally following uh, wrestling protocol, I was supposed to help him. Mm-hmm. So I got up and saw him uh, beating him up. So I just left. I left him in the ring mm-hmm. and they beat the crap out of him. So Lawler's bits, Lawler's bits later on was that I left him, mm-hmm. and I think the arguments we would have, you know, I would say, hey, I don't, 
why would I help you anyway? I said, hell, you made those enemies. I didn't make them. I don't have nothing to do with that. So it was actually a logical answer for what he asked me. But then we went into a weird dynamic. Uh, He was the champion, and he wanted a match with me to get even. And I told him, I'll wrestle you, but you got to put the towel up. He said, well, I don't want to put it up. And I said, well, you don't get it. So I held him off with that for two or three weeks. And then that was totally different. It was the... It was the champion wanting the challenger instead of the other way around. Mm-hmm. I mean, we broke every, I guess, barrier in, in that because the people couldn't read it. So it was a, it was a really, really good program. And, I, and the people still remember. I've actually, the ones that are still alive, the ones tell me that, that was what made them a fan mm-hmm. was that, that program right there. Yeah. So, but Memphis was really good for, we're starting out a lot of talent and because it was a feeder system one time for WWE, uh, WWF uh, b- before, uh, you know, NXT was ever even a thought in anybody's head. Yeah. So that's, that's what it was good for. Yeah. Well, so many matches, like I said, we could do a few hours at Dutch just talking about them, but I also want to uh, mention something that has really stood out to me because, uh, you know, you've been kind of a trailblazer along the way, and that was certainly the case when you were a manager, which you, you had uh, played that role several times. But I think that run in, in, in uh, 2011 as Zeb Coulter and, and with Jack Swagger, which it really did, you know, cross over, which I think was brilliant uh, as a storyline because it did bring – it got national attention uh, doing that yeah, tea damn. party gimmick and, uh, really, and I, I love watching that, uh, that one promo you guys did where you're, you know, all of a sudden it zooms out from the green screen and it's like, Whoa, uh, yeah. how did that come about? And, uh, really, did you, uh, enjoy that? Because it, it, oh, it did I lo- ride that I, line. I, I love, I love that. Yeah. But in a lot of ways it was, it was so good, mm. but they were kind of afraid of it too. Yeah. A little too because, close to reality. Well, they wanted me to be a big heel, mm-hmm. and it was 2013. And I'll tell you, I, I got a I got a call one day, and uh, they uh, I was in town, yeah. and I was between gigs. I'd I'd finished up with uh, TNA in 2009, so up to this point, yeah, I'm just making independent shows. Mm-hmm. But that was before it really got in vogue, and it's actually before you could really make much money with it. I was making a living, but barely. Yeah. So they called me and. Uh, the talent relations guy called me and he wanted to know he's would I be in town Monday because they were coming to town. They wanted to talk to me. And I said, yeah, I'll be there. And they told me to come down and talk to triple H. I said, okay. And I uh, seriously thought that they wanted me to be like, uh, some kind of a, an advisor or a, a instructor mm-hmm. for NXT. Mm-hmm. That's what I thought. Mm-hmm. So I got down there about, I guess three thirty. And they brought me in and told me to go to cater and get something to eat. And then they come got me about 4.30 and said Triple H wanted to talk to me. And But what they were looking for was a mouthpiece for Swagger because they wanted to start using him again. Mm-hmm. So they said, would you mind doing like a little bit of a promo and uh, that we can show Vince? And I said, no, that's, that's okay. So I got down about 3.30 met I met uh, Triple H at 4.30. He told me what, what they were looking for. So at 5.30, I did the interview, and and all the information they gave me was, this is the character we want. It's almost leftover Tea Party. They didn't say that. Yeah. But I'm sure they're growing off my earlier time there. Mm-hmm. 
Here was a guy who's a little bit older, which I fit that qualification, who had lost. Uh, he he thought the country had lost its vision, didn't know in what direction it was moving, and it was really going to hell and you know yeah. going to hell in the basket. So and he said, "Can you do something along that?" And I said, "Yeah." And I had a. He said, "I." He said, "I'll give you a few minutes." They didn't give me long. So, you ever seen the movie Grand Torino? Yes. Yeah. Clint Eastwood. With Clint Eastwood. Yeah. That's what I thought of immediately. Mm. He's a yeah. Vietnam vet. And get it? Yeah. He saw all those factories closed down, yeah. and his community went to shit, and yeah. all these immigrants were around, and so I started channeling Clint Eastwood. Hmm. So I said, "Hey, when I walk down the street." And they didn't give me these words. I just made them up, I guess, on the spot. When I walk down the street, I, I see people who who don't look like me, who don't talk like me, who don't eat the same food as I do, whose way of life is different than me. Who I said, what happened to my America? Huh. Where did my America go? And I did about three of them. But in the last one, I did and something about I don't know how I did it, but I said something like, we the people. Well, that was at 4.30. Vince saw it at 5.30. They hired me at 6.30. <laughs> and I went to work on Raw that night. At Gee. 7.30, I was live on Raw. <laughs> and I was the oldest, oldest, I think the oldest on-air character they'd ever hired. And on the spot. And one thing I tell people is when I walked in that dressing room is only 75% of that dressing room had no idea who I was. Mm. They were looking at me like, who got the Uber driver here (laughs) 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 or or, or something. But, and I remember, uh, uh, Natalie, what's her name? The, the heart girl. What's her name? You mean, uh, Brett Hart's. What was her name? Yeah. I, well, you know what I'm talking about. Yeah, I know exactly what you're talking but about. But she sat down and she says, she introduced herself. She's a nice girl. Mm-hmm. And she says, who are you? So no. I said, well, I, I mean, why do you tell somebody who who are you? And you're sitting there and you're going on. And they were, I, I, they told me that night when I went out to do my interview in Nashville, which was the best place they could have picked. Yeah. Because when I went out in Nashville, the people stood up. They knew who I was. So I heard, and I heard later that I, I sold out the curtain. Yeah. Oh, you're you talking about Natalie. Out. You're talking about Natalie, and, uh, and Natalia Neidhart. That's who you're. Natalia. Yeah, I Natalia. can't think of her name. Okay. I never could think of her name. Yeah, Hell, I've been hit on the head a couple hundred thousand times. I can't think of a lot of things. No but anyway, I heard when I went that night, I sold out the curtain, yeah. which means they didn't actually go to the curtain, but to have the big monitor set up. Yeah. And then I sold it out. They said all the guys want to see who in the hell I was. Huh. So, so I went out there to. And we started, and I could. They wanted me to be a big, big heel because because they kept telling me, "Are oh, you going to be a big heel?" But see, I can read crowds, like you mentioned earlier. Yeah. And they were buying what I was saying. Mm. And when I got to Nashville, and they didn't know where I was going with it, but about a minute and a half in, it was there. You could feel it. Boom! They click. Wow. Yeah, and you then, know, you know when it happens, I, right? I, 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 yeah, I could. It was almost a, a perfect fit. Then I go back, and everybody's like, a, because they want that. They want that. It, it's not a screaming angle, but it's something that has legs, yeah. and you could build on it. Yeah. So, oh, did you? 
Uh, I've kept and you a the long next time. Week, the, huh? next, the next week, yeah. that was when Swagger got busted for uh. that that down in Biloxi, Mississippi. Mm-hmm. And I thought he was going to get fired. And I went, well, I'll be damned. Finally get, get here with these guys, and now all of a sudden he gets fired. But they didn't fire him. Yeah. They didn't, They stayed with him. Yeah. So I, I remember when I was walking in with him, and Vince come right in. We were walking down the hallway. <laughs> and Jack was saying, he's trying to tell Vince, hey, man, he's trying to figure out his positions, what he's doing. I don't yeah. blame him. He said, you know, Vince, I, I need to talk to you. And all Vince said, you know what he said to him? He said, Jack, you're an idiot. <laughs> <laughs> and kept moving. And Jack said, well, yeah, I know I'm an idiot, but can I talk to you? Jack, you're an idiot. And kept walking. Uh, uh, and I don't think Jack ever did talk to him about it. That's right, but he but, which, was fine, which was fine with Jack. <laughs> Jack just didn't want to. Lose anything because yeah. it was. A, he said he told me later. He said it was a stupid move, and he apologized to me. He said I shouldn't have done it, yeah. but it worked out well for him. He's doing good now, yep. so we got by that. And, yeah, and I think Swagger, one of the nicest guys you ever want to meet. Yeah, yeah and it's so nice to see him. Always, yeah, he's doing well now. Lucky Land Casino asking people what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky. Lucky in line at the deli, I guess. Aha, in my dentist's office. More than once, actually. Do I have to say? Yes, you do. In the car before my kid's PTA meeting. Really? Yes. Excuse me, what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? I never win and tell. Well, there you have it. You can get lucky anywhere, playing at LuckyLandSlots.com. Play for free right now. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Hello, it is Ryan, and I was on a flight the other day playing one of my favorite social spin slot games on ChumbaCasino.com. I looked over at the person sitting next to me, and you know what they were doing? They were also playing Chumba Casino. Coincidence? I think not. Everybody's loving having fun with it. Chumba Casino is home to hundreds of casino-style games that you can play for free anytime, anywhere, even at 30,000 feet. So sign up now at ChumbaCasino.com to claim your free welcome bonus. That's ChumbaCasino.com and live the Chumba life. No purchase necessary. BTW. Void. we prohibited by law. See terms and conditions. 18 plus. All right. I've kept you a long time, but I do want to get these questions in, in because when people heard I was going to be chatting with you, they, they fired a bunch at us. So I'm going to throw them out at you. We'll get through them. Uh, Juan Ro, uh, Rosales on Twitter says, uh, do you consider... Uncle Zeb and Zeb Coulter, a continuation of the same character. Yeah, it probably it, it yeah. was. That's where it came from. Yeah. And I think, and I did ask, I, I never really figured out where the, the political Zeb came from, but I think it came from one of the writers and it came from, I think, uh, Road Dog. Really? Because they wanted, they wanted this character to be, a little politically oriented, especially with the Tea Party. Yeah. And I used to talk talk politics to to uh, Road Dog and very intelligent man. Mm-hmm. And we'd have some great conversation. And he's funny as hell anyway. So part of us talking, we'd be laughing and carrying on anyway. But you know, I kind of fit that criteria. They actually considered Robert, uh, you know, Robert Fuller for it. Mm-hmm. But Robert, mm-hmm. I think, was too ingrained with that Colonel Parker thing. Right. And uh. He, he's kind of got a way of like, oh, shucks, and smiling and laughing. Nobody would take him serious. And I think Jimmy Golden, but I think they had Jimmy there, and uh, and Jimmy, great in the ring, but he's not, I don't think he's a, a, a they didn't think he would be a good enough talker. So anyway, I, I, they, that's why they give me that little tryout on, on Raw, and it worked. Yeah, it sure did. Uh, Toby uh, Bovingdon on Twitter says, was JBL fun to manage as Justin Hawk Bradshaw? Did you foresee his career going the way it did? 
No, I think uh, he was going to do good anyway. Yeah. He was going to really do great. Uh, great athlete. And see, JBL is, you don't see the, the JBL twice in the same time. I mean, you know, he's a different JBL every time you see him. Mm. It's, it's just total bullshit. And he's funny. Yeah. Okay, and he's very aggressive. Yeah. And a uh, good football player. Uh, and as you, you can see him on Fox now, he's at, He's a financial analyst. Yeah. And I never saw I never saw that in him. Right. But plays a lot of was, roles. But I did I did see him, his career doing well, yes. Yeah. Uh, Darren Williams on Instagram said, Which wrestler did Dutch encounter that was outstanding yet never got the spotlight that you think they deserved? Is there somebody God, there must be a few. You you, you launched a few well, Steve uh, Austin, but uh he did okay. <laughs> he got the spotlight. Yeah, yeah. he sure did. I'm Anybody? gonna say this and I, this is Brad Armstrong hmm. was probably the smoothest technician in the ring. And he was, a, everything he did was good. Mm-hmm. I mean, and better than average, but I think Brad and, and he would, if he was still with us, he'd probably tell you that his, his downfall was his, his, was his talking. Uh-huh. He so was important. as hilarious in the ring as a, a comic on stage. Yeah. I mean, and we had some great conversations because hmm. I'm pretty funny too. Sometimes <laughs> me and Brad got together. You put him, you put a camera on him. It's like he's like a deer in the headlights. Wow! But as far I think he never really got the uh, recognition that his in ring talent called for. Huh. And I think I had somebody else one time. I was I had that same question. I forgot who I said now. And and I think you know Bobby Eaton. I don't think he gets the recognition that he deserves. Hmm. Really? He could he, he could do it all, and again the talking with Bobby held him back at the same time. Hence the hence the need like that word hence yeah. hence the need yeah. for managers and mouthpieces. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. I, I think that that's a lost art, boy. I and mean, you see a couple Heyman still does it, but uh, there's I mean back in the day, man, the seventies and eighties and nineties, uh, boy, they played a major role. You know, you're talking about me working with Lawler. I, I was watching uh, uh, Lawler match, but what intrigued me, uh, this is me, and I did it. Yeah. I'm watching this interview that we did face up, and it's almost like a real argument because we were saying, and we were arguing about this issue, and and Lawler's a great talker anyway. Yeah. And uh, it would just, I actually, if I was a fan, that would that would almost yank me into going and seeing what these guys are going to do. Sure. See, because so we weren't screaming, this, that, and the other. we were actually arguing. Two guys would argue in a locker room or two guys would argue in a bar. You know, it's like two friends that fell out. Yeah. They're having this argument. Now, you know, somewhere down the road, this has to, this has to come out in some violent, some fisticuffs, violent yeah. way. Yeah. And that's what, that's what we was trying to yank them into. Hence, uh, I'm going to use that word again. Where does the fake stop and the reality begin? As long as you can ride that line, you got them. That's that's uh, one of the most important things. Like I said, you never knew the difference when when Lawler would have that those flurry of punches, and you got to think one, but you know, a bunch of these got to be connecting. I mean, he would just, but but so well, ahead. in a match with the, the, that twenty six foul match I was telling you about, yeah. I think he hit Landell in the corner about 40 times. <laughs> Actually, I, I couldn't count the punches yeah. because 
throwing rights yeah. and rights. And then I was, and he, he went left, right, left, right, left, right, and then speeded him up. Yeah. And oh, that's another guy that didn't, didn't get the recognition he deserved, Buddy Landale. All right. Okay. But uh, Buddy was, but he was his own worst enemy. Yeah. That's a whole no, That's another podcast. That's another podcast. All right. Um, Paul Innocencio on Twitter says, if Bruiser, Broder ha- Bro- uh, Bruiser Brody hadn't passed away, is there any insight you know of uh, and can share on where the next part of his career in the States was going? Uh, WWE or even WCW? What What do you think? I don't think he'd have ever worked with him. He, he, he was too much of a rebel. Yeah, really? He uh, was a too much. Uh, well, you know, Brody was not easy to work with. Hmm. You know, he was... And I've heard people say about him uh, that he was difficult to work with. If he didn't like what they had planned for him, he'd be a he'd be an asshole. Because yeah. he was that wouldn't have worked in the as, WWE. As see, and that wouldn't have worked. He wouldn't have done it. And I think he would have continued to work in Japan because he was making. Somebody told me what he was making there at the time. This is in the eighties. He was making making like fifteen grand a week. It's a lot of money. He then. would go, he would come over there and he he would go. And this is like, back up the times, Sean. Yeah. And nineteen eighty, fifteen thousand dollars a week. Some people were making fifteen thousand a year. Yeah, yeah, that's a lot. So now. you imagine <laughs> fifty? Yeah, it is yeah. fifteen thousand a week. Yeah. And I used to think if when I would go to Puerto Rico, I would always think, why in the hell is this guy here yeah. if he's doing so well in Japan? And it took me a long time to actually find out that see, a lot of people don't know this, but what had happened in Puerto Rico, what had happened in Puerto Rico, he was, they were trying to sell a part of, uh, uh, the, of the territory mm-hmm. and, and who owned it was Gorilla Monsoon and Gorilla Monsoon was going to sell his share. And not a lot of people know this. I don't even know if it's true or not. This is what I heard. He was going to sell his share to Bruiser Brody. That's why Brody was oh. going down there, so he could like, uh, kind of learn it. You ever, you ever hear that before? No, I knew I knew uh, Gino had uh, owned uh, part of that, and uh, also a piece yeah, of but the he WWE, was going to sell his WWE, to, and, and, yeah. yeah, and I think Abdullah kind of talked him into it, because I think Abdullah owned 5% of it. Huh. That's why they were down there all the time. Yeah, I'd never heard that. So, But Brody made it known that if he takes over, or he takes that he was going to lobby for the invader to be fired. Uh, wow. Now, and that's where the, oh, that's, that's where, the, where the, that, that's where the heat came from. Oh, man. And I heard the last time I was in Puerto Rico that the Friday night before that Saturday night, they had, they had had, they, they had a discussion and I heard that, uh, Brody slapped him. Oh, wow. So there was, now it kind of makes sense. Now, yeah. When I walked in, that's I felt the heat. Yeah, that's what you said. Because the heat was kind of real. Yeah. Because nobody was laughing, nobody was kidding around, and everybody looked really serious. Because maybe some of the other guys in that dressing room knew about it and, and knew something was, was going down. Yeah, right. Except me. Except me. Yeah. But I felt it. So then I got up and walked out of the dressing room. So now here it is, thirty-two years later. Yeah. And I'm kind of now still piecing it together. Yeah, as uh, as many still are too. Even you uh, know all those files, all those files. Let me just throw this in here. All those files about that case have disappeared. 
Yeah, really. Yeah, and uh, you know that? No, I didn't know that. They that's could... what. That's what the guys at uh, Dark Side of the Ring told me. Wow. They tried to find the files, and they're not there. Oh, they God. can't find them yeah, for a reason. And some of the, I I used to have a subpoena that they sent me, but I finally the subpoena. I was living in Birmingham at the time. The mail came late in the afternoon. It was like three o'clock. So when I opened it up, it was a subpoena for the the day, the same day he had arrived at my place in Birmingham. Hmm. And I actually knew the verdict before I opened the letter. Hmm. That was the point. Because he didn't sit on somebody's desk for 10, 10 days and they just didn't mail it. Yeah. So. Yeah, it was rigged. Crazy, crazy, crazy world we live in, huh? Yeah. On a lighter note, uh, Dustin Howell on Twitter, whose idea was it for you to be billed from Oil Trough, Texas? <laughs> well, that came about. <laughs> I was Ron Bass. I used to team up him, uh, team up with him, yeah. and we went to Kansas City for some short run. But he told me about an Oil Trough, Arkansas. Because I wanted a, 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 you know, a name where nobody knows where it's from, but it sounds like it's got to be way out in the middle of nowhere. And Altroff, Texas, there's no Altroff, Texas, but there is an Altroff, Arkansas. So he told me that. So I just, I just took the name. See, I was watching a guy today, and he's, he, what's his name, Mass Archer or Archer Mance? What's his name that works for uh, XF, uh, MLW? I don't you know, know what I'm talking about? Matt's, Matt's Turner or something? I don't yeah. know. But he's, he goes from Bucksnort, Tennessee. Yeah. And I remember I used to be, when I went to Florida one time, I was Dutch Mentel, and I just I changed the orchard off. I, I went from Bucksnort, Tennessee. Yeah. I just made it up. <laughs> and I've seen a couple other guys, because you, when you pass Bucksnort, Tennessee, you're thinking, what the, yeah. what kind yeah. of a damn place has that got to be? Yeah. So, and you better, make, you better not make fun of my hometown either. <laughs> oh, no, don't do that. Any more questions? Oh, yeah. i, I got a couple more for you, okay? And then I'll let you go. Um, what were your first first thoughts about a young, stunning Steve Austin, who wasn't, I don't even, wasn't Steve Austin then yet, right? Well, I'm booking Memphis, mm-hmm. and it was like the show started at 8 o'clock. Yeah. At 7.15, Bill Dundee walks in there, and he says, Hey, mate, you know you got this new guy coming tonight? I said, Who? I don't know. It's some guy from Texas. I said, nobody told me about it. He said, well, I thought I'd tell you. And he walked out. Hmm. Well, about five minutes in walk, in walk Steve. Mm-hmm. And he come up and he said, hello, my name's Steve Williams. And I've been, uh, I'm supposed to start tonight. And I didn't even know he was coming. So he wasn't even on the card. Now I'm running around looking for him to somebody to work with. Uh. So I said, okay. And, uh, I said, uh, or what's your name? And he went, Steve Williams. Now I just met the guy. Yeah. So he threw his bag down. He's sitting, there, I said, what's your Steve Williams? I said, well, well, you can't be Steve Williams. He said, well, I don't know why in the hell not. That's my name. Well, listen, I just met the guy and we already in dispute. <laughs> I mean, I said, well, no, it's like having goddamn, it's like having two goddamn Willie Nelson. Yeah. You can't have two of them. Right, right. And I said, you ever heard of Dr. Death, Steve Williams? Yeah. No. Well, I'm sure he had, but. Yeah. But I said, well, you can't use it here. Let's let's get you another name. Think of another name. So I left. Come back about 15 minutes later. And I, I brought his opponent this time, so I told him what he wanted to do. And he was like a baby face. And he said, I said, you got him a name? No. I said, keep thinking. I went back there, and it was about 
eight, about five minutes to eight, mm. I guess. We started eight, and there's Lance standing there. He said, well, Dutch, you got a name for the kid? And I looked at him the third time. I said, you come up with a name? No. I went, God damn. All right, tonight, and he was, he came from Texas, so I'm thinking, that's tonight, let's just call you Steve fucking Austin. <laughs> and said, because I thought of Austin, Texas, and right. there was another big heel Texas named uh, Buddy Austin. Uh-huh. You remember him? Nope. A big, big, nope. big heel years ago. Yeah. He was a big guy and like a raunchy type guy anyway. Yeah. But he said like the $6 million man. I said, no, in your case, more like the $6 man to get your ass out there. <laughs> so he goes out there and he has this match and he come back and he was so happy with the match. He was just smiling, beaming. You know, he said, uh, what didn't you like about, your, about the match? I said, well, It'd be a lot easier to tell you what I did like, which was fucking nothing. And I think I hurt his feel. I think I hurt his feelings. Yeah. And I saw him drop his eyes. I said, "Listen, kid. this is what I want you to do. Listen, kid. But the whole time you're here, this is what I'm, I want you to go work your match. And I want you to go. And I said, I want you to watch every match on the card every night for the whole time you're here, from the beginning to the end. And and he did that. So I went along later. Uh, and I actually saw him sitting by the door with the door open. He was watching every match. And he still alludes to that. He said, Yeah, no, I've heard him say that, 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 uh, that, you know, that came on early and he never forgot it. So, yeah. And, uh, what I, and I, I went by and saw him watching the match. I went, Damn, a guy who actually does what you ask him to do. Mm-hmm. But he told me, he says that, uh, that he watched every match so he didn't copy anybody else and he was different. Right. And one night, the stunning Steve Austin, we were coming from Memphis one night, and I said, hey, if you ever turn babyface, why don't you be stunning Steve Austin? And he was stunning Steve Austin. Yeah. Guess how much money I got out of all, all these characters. Yeah, right. Zero. Zip. Yeah. But, but a good guy. Really right. good guy. With lucky landslots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. Dearly beloved, we are gathered here today to... Has anyone seen the bride and groom? Sorry, sorry, we're here. We were getting lucky in the limo and we lost track of time. No, Lucky Land Casino, with cash prizes that add up quicker than a guest registry. In that case, I pronounce you lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandSlots.com. Daily bonuses are waiting. No purchase necessary. Void were prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. If you only have a 401k, you're not getting the most for retirement. Wait, what? Add a Robinhood IRA on top, then they'll boost it by 3%. You can do that? And if you transfer in any retirement account, you get 3% on top of that. Is there a limit to the match? No limit. Robinhood Gold gets you the biggest contribution match of any IRA on the market. Sign up for Robinhood Gold at Robinhood.com boost by April 30th. Subscription fees apply. Investing involves risk. 3% match requires gold for one year from first match. Must keep IRA for five years. Match on transfers subject to additional terms and conditions. Robinhood Financial LLC. Member SIPC. I'm going to wrap it up here from uh, Jim Perry on Twitter. Uh, Dutch, what brand of product do you use on your exceptional handlebar mustache? And uh, give us a little uh, background on on how the magnificent mustache that you continue to sport came about. <laughs> there used to be a guy named Ox Baker. Remember him? Yes, yes. He had that big mustache. Yep, big old giant. I was always kind of, I was always kind of envious of it, and yeah. he got. And he'd grab his mustache yeah. and hey God, he'd slap his hands. It, and, yeah. You know. And he had his he he'd had those eyebrows. He would twist those up in there. He looked yeah. a little bit like the devil did. Yeah. Right? 
but I started growing, I must say, I started Fu Manchu before the beard. Yeah. And then I started growing the beard again, and I just let the mustache come down. And then I've studied mustaches, and I've had it my whole career. And I use some wax on it, and sometimes I will, I'll twist it down, then I'll twist it up. And, but I've learned if you let it get too long, it becomes unmanageable. So if you keep the acceptable distance, you still, you can you can manage it, and it looks it looks pretty good because people they will notice that mustache. Yeah, so, you think? Almost any, almost any, <laughs> yeah. So uh, almost any wax will will work, and that's what I've done. Is, whole time they loved it in the wwe because they used to have people they'd write me and they said seems like that thing is growing even as you're standing out there <laughs> I, would, I would twist it up and it would be i mean you, i would have the girls in the back of the case i mean the, the makeup girls they would you know i would put the wax on it and then i would put the spray on it yeah. so yeah. it wouldn't go anywhere yeah. so that's 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 where uh that was the history of the of the mustache. Yeah, well, that's fantastic. Uh, Dutch, this has just been fantastic uh, having this conversation with you. Folks, if you want to learn learn more about Dutch and all of his travels, he's uh, had quite uh, a journey. Uh, check out his books, The World According to Dutch, and uh, also hey, Tales. Hey, check me out. Check yeah. me out on, on my website, okay. Dirty Dutch Mantel with two L's, dot com. Because I usually have like a story of the week or something. And that's actually how I wrote my first two books. I'd write a story. Yeah. And the first book I wrote in, uh, I think I wrote it in uh, five weeks really on, the, uh, on the beach in Puerto Rico. Because wow. I already had the stories in my head. Yeah. So now all I had to do is put it pen to paper. And then I had two guys who were like, you know, Mark James, who I mentioned earlier. He, he's written a bunch of books about wrestling and another friend of mine, Rick gross. He's from Nashville and he's a, he was a reporter and a writer for a medical magazine, but you know, and he was a huge, huge wrestling fan. Yeah. So they, they actually see, I, if I had to put it together myself, I couldn't do it, yeah. but they would do the technical stuff, especially Mark, you know, because it went through Amazon It went through a, another company. Then Amazon, I mean, they own everything anyway. Right. They actually took over the company, and you can still order it online through Amazon, or you can order it through me, and I'll autograph it for you. So if you go to my website, you know, I'll tell you all how to do that. And my website, uh, my email number is dirtydustmantel at gmail.com. It's easy to remember. Two L's. Dirty Dust Mantel, with two L's yep. at gmail.com. And you can find me on Twitter at Dirty D Mantel or Dirty Dustman One. And I think on uh, Instagram, I think it's Dirty Dustman One there too. Okay, and so, uh, and the website in the website again. The website is just is just my name, Dirty Dutch Mantel with two L's. Two L's dot com. Uh, dot dot com. Yeah, and so, check out the books too, that, folks. They're great books. Uh, Tales uh, Tales from a Dirt Road, and also the World According to Dutch. Both uh, you can catch on Amazon, and I'm sure there's uh, there are other places you can check out. But uh, so you, you got read, a third one. You were working on a third book. Is that? I am of, working. Yeah. I'm working on a third one. I yeah. think I'm going to call it. Dirty Dutch's little handbook for wrestling junkies. Ah, I love that. I mean, it's just, it's stories from the road. And, you know, the one thing I I, I don't do, I never wanted to out, out anybody. Yeah. Right. When I heard something. I didn't want to out anybody. I didn't want to say anybody was a drug addict. I didn't say anybody was like uh, uh alcoholic. I didn't say anybody is messed around on his wife on the road. It, it was actually a clean book and funny. Mm-hmm. So I didn't mm-hmm. want to. 
I, I didn't really out anybody or say anything that I wouldn't say to the face. Right. So, well, and a, and a suggestion here, Dutch, uh, I want you to narrate the next book. So you have an audio book. You got to have, uh, and I think it would be fantastic. Well, that's a, that's a good idea. Yeah. Okay. I was going to do, uh, I was going to do a Kindle book. Yeah. But I never really got around to that. I should do all this stuff. Audio books, that's uh, their big. See, I need, like I, I need a business manager like you yeah, to tell me to do these things. Yeah, well, so, well, well, listen, anyway, I've enjoyed the show. Yep. I, I enjoy the fans. I, I probably, you'll probably get a lot of feedback on this because, hell, you can't shut me up. And, you, you know, you, you're a pretty good talker yourself. So, I mean, I think the show is. It's moved a long way on. I think it's been interesting, and we've talked a lot of different topics. So right. if, you ever, if you ever want me again, just give me a call, and we'll do it again. All right. You stay well, my friend, and thank you uh, for taking the time. I uh, I hope that uh, we're all out and about and all this has uh, passed and we, we learn from it. I do, too. So be strong. Be safe, man. All right. See, uh, like I said, uh, boy, that was worth waiting for. It was definitely worth waiting for. Uh, I had uh, had to wait a couple of years to get Dutch Mantel on primetime with Sean Mooney, but oh boy, was it worth the wait! And uh, just so many uh, fascinating, fascinating uh, you know details about his life. The fact that he was just this great wrestler, had a, a tremendous career, uh, spent a lot of time in, in Puerto Rico. Uh, found it really interesting that uh, considering all uh, of the time he spent there and what a incredible influence that. Uh, that time there had on his uh, life and career that uh, he said that he felt ill at ease there and uh, with good reason. I mean, it was, uh, you know, you talk about passionate wrestling fans and of course he was there when uh, Bruiser Brody uh, was killed. He wasn't there at the, when it uh, actually wasn't in the, the locker room when it happened, but he was there um, at the, uh, the stadium and uh, you know, of course had an incredible insight on what, what took place but uh, you know, just just really, what a what a great story! And he uh, was also a big uh, influence in the world of, of professional wrestling as a promoter and booker. Uh, did a did a lot with that, and uh, you know, just really uh, a great 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 career. And I want to thank Dutch Mantel for coming on. Um, he's got a couple of books out so far, and uh, uh, you know, the Tales from a Dirt Road uh, is one of them. And then uh, also the world according to Dutch, and, and you know check him out. He said he's working on a third book too that's uh, that's coming out. So uh, keep an eye out. Uh, but again, I want to thank Dutch Mantel for uh, for joining us uh, this episode of PTSM. Uh, as I mentioned at the top, folks, I hope you're staying safe. I hope you're uh, self distancing. You're washing your hands a lot. Uh, we really can't take what's going on lightly. I hope to God, uh, as I said, uh, that this is going to start on the downturn soon. Uh, in the meantime, take care of each other. I uh, hope that we can help uh, somewhat, help entertain you. Uh, it's not easy, man, when you're when you're hanging out. But uh, I hope that we're learning a few things from, from uh, being uh, around our family and our friends and knowing what's important to us. And maybe even uh, uh, learning a few things about, uh, you know, Working from home, what it can do for, uh, there's a lot of great benefits to it. So I hope some of these employers are starting to see, hey, you know what? We can help with the, you know, the whole thing with the climate and, and uh, you know, fewer accidents on the road. And, uh, you know, let's look at some of the positive aspects. In the meantime, take care of one another. I'd love to hear from you. If you uh, would like to email me, let me know how you're doing. Maybe you got some uh, good uh, suggestions for 
uh, for binge watching. Uh, you know, be sure and check out if you've got some time. Uh, check out the uh, the episodes on Vice TV, and I know they've released a, a couple on YouTube. Uh, the Dark Side of the Ring, it's uh, series two, is awesome. So uh, don't miss that. Uh, again, follow us on Twitter and Instagram at uh, Primetime Mooney. Uh, Gmail again, Primetime Mooney at gmail.com. Take care of yourselves, folks. I want to thank you again for listening, and I will see you next time. I'm Sean Mooney, and I am out. Mm-hmm.